Randy Tuman of the Fayette County Sheriff's Office in Texas talks about that special bond between a handler and their dog. I don't want to say aggressive bond, but they are the most, they're the dog that bonds, I mean, very strongly with the handler. Is that correct? I mean, I think uh, any good working dog, I mean, as much time you spend with them, they're going to bond. I mean, once you get that initial bond, it's it's hard to explain if you're not a canine handler. It's like, you know, having a human person that you've worked with for five years every day for 10 to 12 hours, they can read your mind, you know, they can feel your emotion and, uh, it's it's really it's undescribable, man. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Hello, hello, hello. It is that time again. We are coming up on episode. 48. We are getting close to cinco, cincuente episodes. We are, we're coming up uh, on a year or two. We'll be doing a year in June. So guys, everybody, welcome. Episode 48, Game of Crimes. I am your ultimate host, the host with the most and the best here, Morgan Wright, here literally with my partner in crime. The guy that has to put up with his crap, Steve Murphy, but call me Murph. Yes, we are legends in our own mind, former law enforcement, <laughs> for, oh, he, former heroes of the universe. That's right. That's, That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> Those, uh, those Avengers, they ain't got nothing on us. I got nothing on us. We got them. We got them. Hey, guys. Well, thank you guys for coming back. We have had, let me tell you, um, just real quickly before we get into the housekeeping, Jerry Clark got a lot of great comments back on Jerry. And I will tell you, part two of Jerry's episode that we did with him was the second most downloaded episode we've ever had. I mean, in terms of numbers. Uh, the, the highest one, obviously, was our kickoff episode with you and JP, episode mm-hmm. one. But this has been the most downloaded episode since last June 28th. Wow. Wow. Good job, Jerry. I mean, you know, I'm just shocked that I didn't, I was not aware of that case until my friend uh, Kevin told me about it at the beach, you know, and then read the book and thought, I can't believe I've never heard of this case. And then Jerry was just, what an excellent person to talk to him. And just from the very first time I spoke to him on the phone, he was excited and, and, uh, it was a blast. Just, that was a great interview. So thank you. Jerry. I wasn't sure I believed him at the first, cause anytime an FBI agent says that they're FBI and humbled in the same sentence, I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't know it was him or not, but it, he definitely was. He is such a good guy. And we actually got a lot of comments from people in Ohio. He said, I know this area of Ohio. It's great to hear stories. Yeah. People want to hear more. So we will bring him back, but we hope, hopefully you guys loved it. The Pizza Bomber case, go to pizzabomber.com and get more information on it. But anyway, before we get into the main part of the episode, just some quick housekeeping. Apple reviews, Spotify, give us those five stars. One, two, three, four, five. Just count up to five. Five is the magic number. Like count, count, count. Five is the number. The number is five. Just to help us out, those reviews mean a lot to us. Your comments mean a lot to us. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, and go see the book list from Jerry. Jerry has got some fantastic books out there. We've got four of them just added to our book list there. So uh, merch, uh, you know, uh, our mailing list too. Also follow us on the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, but where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be. We just got through recording our question and answer for Patreon. We had some terrific questions. We've gotten a lot of response to on our 911 episode about swatting and our other one too. You can't, you just, you can't make this shit up. We've got some funny ones on that. So, but you patreon.com slash game of crimes. Murph, I'm telling you, we, the, the, just the Q and A's 
session we did today went like 90 minutes. Great questions. Absolutely. And keep them coming in. That's, you know, we want to hear from you listeners out there. If you, if there's topics you think you'd like to hear that we're not covering, as long as it's related to law enforcement and telling you about what the true heroic acts are that they're doing out there, we'll certainly entertain them. But on Patreon, we'll address other issues as well. So come on over, check us out. I mean, if you don't like us, you can always unsubscribe, but see what it's all about. Yeah, but we'll hunt you down, though, and then we'll, we'll ask you, why? Why did you do that to us? <laughs> no, not really. We might have to try to bribe you with a dozen donuts or something, because they were cops. Yeah, 13 donuts. Yeah, you know, that sends a message. Baker's, 13 is Baker's a lucky dozen. number. So Baker's, Baker's dozen. dozen. That's right. And if you if you feel just like a pause for the cause, paypal.com. Use our email address, gameofcrimespodcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash gameofcrimes. Whatever it makes it easier for us to help you support us. Uh, that's allow me to introduce myself to us. I think whatever Austin Power said. Anyway, quick disclaimer. This is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but... We never, we never take ourselves serious. If we did, this wouldn't be any fun at all. And because we don't take ourselves seriously and because it is that time when we always say, guess what time it is. So guess what time it is, Murph? It's time for... Small, Small town, town police blotter, blah blah, yeehaw, and the crowd goes wild. Hey, and guess what? I've got we've got three good, quick police blotter ones, but I'm ending up with one paying homage to our homage to our Patreon uh, episodes. We call you can't make this shit up. I've got one that is a candidate for that. So, but first, Murph. All right. All right. Suspicious activity, 5:53 p.m. A woman called police after being approached by a photographer in downtown who asked if he could take pictures of her feet the photographer was not located <laughs> he's got a fetish there's something wrong with this man he's got a fetish uh-huh. uh, oh, I, I miss, I'm, I'm missing something here no just ask if he could take pictures of her feet and that was it that was it suspicious activity pervert pervert <laughs> well, here, well, I guess here's, that's better than asking to take pictures of a man's feet right yeah, that'd be a little weird. N- another suspicious activity report, Murph. At, this one's at 2.48 a.m. Mm-hmm. This woke the lady up. An Ann Whalen Apartments resident awoke to find someone on her balcony looking into her bedroom. However, the woman later told police she thinks she may have been dreaming prior to calling 911. <laughs> and how much she had she had to drink before she went to bed last that night? That would be a good question. And what is your blood alcohol <laughs> level, ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> You know, now, I tell you, sometimes when you're sleeping, you will, you wake up and you think you've heard a noise, but then you're thinking, there, did I really hear that? Or was that, that part of a dream? <laughs> yeah. And if you're thinking, I, there's somebody out on my balcony, yeah, you know, no, I haven't or gone somebody's, that far. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not that far. Hey, but guess how far you might've gone had you not left the DC area, you traitorous bastard. This one comes just actually from, from Twitter. I found this on Twitter. It's from somebody named KD, but their handle is at Seatown Cyclone. So, right. uh... This one comes from the New York Daily News, but it is about the D.C. area. Steve, a turkey terrorizing Washington, D.C. residents crosses state boundaries into Maryland and is eluding five agencies, a wild turkey. This happened on May 2nd, 2022. A wild turkey that has been terrorizing Washington, D.C. residents has crossed into Maryland and is eluding five agencies from as many jurisdictions. The ferocious fowl's most frequent favorite haunt is Anacostia Riverwalk Trail near the Kenilworth Gardens, just east of the United States National Arboretum and not far from the D.C. border with Maryland. According to one of the local <laughs> residents, Cliff Robertson, I was attacked there. He told the Wall Street, this is the Wall Street Journal. Three weeks ago, I was trying to get away from him and he came after me. He wouldn't let me pass. 
Even people on wheels aren't safe, as evidenced by a video posted by singer Dee Dee Falaren, who had recently been attacked and then found himself trying to help a cyclist fend off the angry bird. Well, maybe if you sons of bitches quit eating us for Thanksgiving, we wouldn't be attacking you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a shame that made the wall. That's what's news in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> the Wall Street, the, out of the, the whole takeaway from the stories, this was in the Wall Street Journal. Slow but, news day, guys. So it's in the Wall Street Journal and then the New York Daily News posted as well? Yeah, they posted a synopsis, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, it must have been a really, really slow. Everything's going on in the world, and that's what they put. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, speaking of that, no, so now, now my buddy Rick Zach. My buddy Rick Zach, since Rick's a recovering firefighter, he thinks he's a hero, but he's not. Only cops are his heroes. But um, <laughs> he sent us a good one. This one is definitely, if you can't make this shit up, this comes to us, believe it or not, from Kashmir, Washington, population 3,248. Salute. All right. It can, that, so this one, the reason I say this for last, this is our uh, homage to you can't make this shit up. A convicted felon accidentally shot himself in the genitals last month at an apartment in Kashmir. But, Steve, his mm. problems didn't stop there. Mm. Cameron Jeffrey Wilson, 27, had a pistol tucked into his front pocket April 5th when the gun discharged, sending a bullet through his testicles and into mm. his thigh. Mm. Now, mm. instead of heading directly to the hospital, Wilson instructed his girlfriend to first drive to Lincoln Park and Wenatchee, uh, Wenatachi, I think, or something, where he gave the pistol to a friend. This dude is a 13-time convicted felon, so obviously it's illegal for him to possess a firearm. 13 times. As doctor, now here, Steve, this is where it gets better. As doctors and nurses perform surgery at Central Washington Hospital, a balloon containing marijuana slipped out of his anus. <laughs> now, no, it's, it's Damn, worse than that. Where did come from? Shelley County Sheriff's Detectives were notified that Wilson had suffered a gunshot wound, which hospitals have to report it, and then responded to the hospital. They searched the car, found a bag of methamphetamine inside a pair of bloodstained jeans he'd taken off before entering the hospital. Oh, now, my gosh. Detectives made the smart move. If you arrest him, you got to pay for his health care. Now, we declined to arrest Wilson at the hospital. Instead, issued an arrest warrant on suspicion of second-degree felon in possession of a firearm and unlawful possession of meth. What do we say, kids? Don't do meth. Now... He was he was charged on April 16th. So what does he do on April 18th? He turned himself in. A detective told corrections officers at the Cheeling County Regional Justice Center of this dude's proclivity to store marijuana in unconventional places. So, Steve, during a strip search, another balloon of marijuana slipped from Wilson's anus. This dude has to lack anal retention. Is he just, is it just flapping back there? How can he not? <laughs> now, Steve, it, it gets worse. So he was arrested, obviously charged with possession of a controlled substance in a correctional facility, but his troubles continued because what do they do to all phones in the jail, Steve? They monitor them. From the jail, Wilson made multiple calls to his girlfriend asking her not to cooperate with investigators. Authorities listened to the calls and now charged him with four counts of tampering with the witness. Dude, you just should have fucking give it up after the first arrest and say, you got me. That's the reason he's been in there 13 times and now this is 14 and maybe quite a while this time. Well, what? 12 of those were for felony stupidity, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Here's a guy that is mere making all other criminals look horrible. You need to pick another occupation. Well, you definitely don't want to run into our next guest then, dude, because our next guest, 
They'll find it. You can have it tucked up your anus. It doesn't matter. Him and his dog, Canine Colt, they're going to find it. So this is a, this is another installment of a fabulous canine story. We're, we're, we're mixing them up, mm-hmm. getting a different view. And on this one, uh, Christy Schiller, one of our fantastic guests again. I mean, she has given us several people to talk to. This week, we are talking to Deputy Randy, actually Sergeant, yeah, Deputy Sergeant. Sergeant Randy Tuman. Absolutely. Uh, down in Texas. Yep. He is a Texas kid, right? So um, Through and through. Through and through. There is yeah. no doubt when you listen to him, through and through. So, but, but I'm telling you, Steve, man, just this is a dude who loves what he does. He's got a great story. And the story we're going to talk about is how him and his canine partner, Colt, what they did. He can't go into all the specifics because they don't want to give away all of their secrets or tradecraft. But we're talking about the seizure of $100 million worth of fentanyl enough fentanyl to kill half the state of Texas. I think about that. I mean, as huge as Texas is, unbelievable. I'm just a hell of a, of a, of a seizure, a nice lick here by, by uh, Randy and his dog Colt. Just fantastic what they're doing out there. The, the risks that he is taking on a daily basis, uh, you know, contracts put out on him by the cartels. He's going to tell you about all that. So I'm not, I don't want to take away all his thunder here, but, uh, when we do the outro, we've got a little section I want to explain uh, after you listen to, to Randy's story here. It's good. It's all good. It's good. Well, and the only way to listen to Randy's story is for me to ask you the penultimate question, the question that everybody else is wanting to know about. Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes? Here we go, everybody. Get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Randy and Colt, tell us your story here, guys. Buddy, this is going to be fun. It's going to be fun because we just released our episode with Christy Schiller, the queen of the internet, Lucy Lips, the skirt with the dirt. Yeah, I mean, this is her saying stuff. And let me tell you what, somebody who goes from being a Playboy Playmate, April of 96, not that I've done that kind of research, but as a victim of a crime, she recovers from being savagely assaulted. Uh, She sees a story on TV one night about an officer loses her canine to starting canine for cops, and then the great work she's done. Well, we told her, he said, look, you have to pay a price. And the price you pay is we want to talk to some other cool people. So she couldn't find anybody cool. And Randy Thuman was the only guy hanging around we could talk to. So Randy, welcome, brother. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hey, brother. It's, it's an honor to have you on here. And at any time, feel free to give Morgan the, the salute because he gets it from me frequently. Which is constitutionally protected free speech, <laughs> as we discussed in a previous episode there, Murph. So, hey, Randy, welcome. Hey, so we'll, real quick, as we always do when we get started, we want to find out about you. So let's kind of pin this. Let's book in this first by just let's first of all talk about where what agency do you work for right now? Where are you at, brother? I'm at uh, the Fayette County Sheriff's Office in Texas. Is, you know, if we we know where Dallas is, where are you from, Dallas? So I'm on I-10, halfway between San Antonio and Houston. So kind of San Antonio, Houston, Austin area, right in the middle of that triangle. Wow, that's got to be fun. Well, but let's talk about. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve, you're about to say something. I was just going to say, I believe that's probably considered a target-rich environment for your kind of your line of work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I-, 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 I- is a interstates are always good for this kind of stuff. So, but let's oh, talk yeah. about Randy. Um, you got a good Texas accent there. So, in case we need to interpret for folks, Murph is our southern interpreter. So, I- I'm understanding every word he says. Yeah, I know you. <laughs> 
Wait, but Randy, what the hell is that? So how long have you been in law enforcement now? And what, what got you started? So I've been uh, law enforcement probably about 18 years now. Uh, started probably because I was just unsure of what else I wanted to do. And being a cop looked like, you know, the 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 most fun that I could have and stay out of trouble. Uh, I had a well, friend. Wait a minute. Were you, did you get into a, did you fracture a, fracture a few laws as a Ute in Texas there? I don't know. I walked that line quite a bit for sure. <laughs> well, where'd you <laughs> grow up all? at? <laughs> I grew up in Belleville, a little small town. Pasture parties. Is that parties. close to where you are now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, real quick question. Is it true? Is the series, the TV series, Friday Night Lights, do people really take football that seriously down in Texas? They absolutely do. <laughs> okay. We've, I believe that. We've taken care of one myth there. Uh, anyway, but so, but, but you, now, did you, did you go, what did you do right out of high school then? Did you do anything else uh, before you got into law enforcement or was this, was this like your first real job? This was my first real job. I mean, I did construction. I grew up working construction with my dad since I can remember, uh, kind of followed in his footsteps after high school go to college part-time, work construction. And then, I mean, after a while, just, it wasn't for me, you know, dark to dark every day of the week, nothing's fun, no, no adrenaline. So uh, just want to start looking into law enforcement. So where'd you first apply it? When, when you started looking at what, was there a certain event that made you to say, I mean, did you come into work one day and just go, I just can't take this anymore. And, you know, just decided to start looking around or was it kind of a progression of things? Well, I had a friend, uh, so I, I'd been friends with this this guy, Matt Walsh, since third grade. We're, we're still friends. We still work. We both work dope together to this day. But uh, So he had gotten to law enforcement. He was on patrol. Um, just listening to his stories, the foot chases, you know, the, the little scuffles, the little dope pops. It's just, it sounded all interesting to me, and I knew, you know, it's something that I, I, I would probably be interested in. Do you ever go for a ride along or get any uh, introduction to it other than walking the fine line, as you said, as a Ute? I didn't. I, no ride alongs, nothing. Just one day, this is what I want to do, and I went and signed up. Where'd you, how, how old were you yeah. when you decided to become a cop? 22. Where, where did you apply? Well, I went to, uh, I applied at College Station Police, uh, Police Department, Bryan Police Department. They had programs to where they would hire you on and send you to the academy. So you kind of got paid while you were in the academy, but you know, of course I got denied. Nothing's ever easy for Randy Tooman. So I had to put myself through the academy. And then once I got the state license, then I applied in a few other places and started in a small sheriff's office, Colorado County. I remember, I mean, Texas is huge. I mean, just so many counties and stuff. So when you say small, are we talking like small, small, or just Texas small, which Texas, that's large compared to every place else. Oh yeah. Yeah. What I mean by small is a large area, but only a few people like, you know, so like for instance, this County, we're, we're probably have close to a thousand square miles just in our County. And when I first started over here, there was three of us on, you know, a North, a South and a float. So when I say small, I mean the department small, not the area. Yeah, that's kind of Holy what I was getting. <laughs> what's what's the population of your county now? Man, I couldn't even tell you. I don't know. Well, that's why we have Siri. What quick? It's 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 a Fayette County, right? So, hey, hey Siri, what is the population of Fayette County, Texas? In 2020, the population of Fayette County was 24,435. Salute. All right. So, <laughs> hey, technology. Al Gore's amazing internet, man. We can figure all this stuff out. So, but so. But where did you first, where was your first law enforcement job? You said, what was the sheriff's office, Colorado County? Yeah, Colorado County Sheriff's Office. And it was fun. I mean, uh, I'm not going to bash on nobody. It was more of a reactive. They're not really into 
young Thundercats being proactive. And, you know, I hit the streets. I'm trying to put everybody in jail every night. So uh, they put the brakes on that and, you know, kind of got disgruntled there for a little while. But, uh, you know, I, I stuck it out for – it's kind of where I bumped into the love for interdiction too was out there. And, uh, you know, I got my hand slapped for that as well. Well, well you, you said you had to put yourself through the academy. Explain to us what you had to go through and where is the academy at and, and all that. So Teeks, which is Texas A&M, it's an extension of Texas A&M. Uh, I think the academy was probably six to eight months, something like that, every day. Uh, it was nothing hard. You know, a lot of learning the law. Uh, the physical aspect of it was pretty simple. But once you got through that, you were licensed through the state to apply for a peace officer's job. So you, you go through firearms training, defensive tactics, all that kind of stuff. Did you learn surveillance, anything like that? Uh, we might have brushed on on some stuff like that, but nothing in depth for sure. But the 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 the, uh, the the way they do surveillance is Texas. They just take off that big white hat and nobody can see them, right? <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, man, so Javier and I were speaking to a group of people in Victoria, Texas. Do you know where that is, Randy? Yeah, absolutely. So we were we were doing our little show there, and I mentioned about Pablo Escobar's ranch, and I said, you know, it was it was we think it was about ten thousand acres. I said I'm really not sure, but whatever it was, it was huge. And so when we finished, the sheriff of of the, of the county came up and he said, I want to thank y'all for for coming here, but Murph, I got to straighten something out. A ten thousand acre ranch here in Texas, we call that a ranchette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you say, sheriff? <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, but how so? But now when you started on the sheriff's office there, you know, in a lot of places, a lot of deputies we've talked to, they start off working the jail first. Did you have to do the jail route and go to patrol or did you start on patrol? I did, man. Like, luckily, because it was such a small department, they were in need of patrol officers. So when you hired on, that's where you went to patrol. I mean, uh, it had its advantages and disadvantages to be in a small department, you know, because it was a small department that the call volume wasn't super high. So you had time to be proactive and do kind of what, what interests you. So yeah, mm -hmm. didn't start in the jail, went straight to the streets. So I know that didn't break your heart. Did it? No, no. <laughs> hey, just yeah. out of curiosity, how much did it cost you to put yourself through the Academy? Oh, man, you're talking 18 years ago, bro. I barely know what happened yesterday. I don't know. Which if you're a defense attorney <laughs> listening, you just forget what you heard there. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't remember. It wasn't, I mean, nothing, nothing that wasn't nothing outrageous. Good. No, maybe a couple thousand bucks. I'm I'm just guessing. But now, did you work, though, during the time while you're going to the academy, like on weekends and stuff, to pay your freight, or how'd that work? Yeah, I worked on the weekends, uh, still doing the construction stuff. All right, man. That is a. You talked about going from 12-hour days doing construction, so you were doing that, probably having to study, right, and then doing construction on the weekends. I bet you were finally glad to finish the academy and get that first job, no matter what it was, right? I mean... <laughs> I don't, I'm being a cop is easy. I, you know, uh, for the most part to me, when I first started, you know, as far as the labor aspect of what I was used to, man, being a cop was, man, it was, it was gravy. There's so many of us that I know, I'm not sure about you, Morgan, I know Harvey and I both, we worked a night shift. So we oh, could yeah. go to college in the daytime. And, and when you finally get that degree, it's like the weight of the world's lift off of your shoulders. You don't have to do all that studying and attending class and falling asleep and all that stuff. Uh, I worked midnights for the first six months. I was taking EMT training too, when I started off as a city officer. So that first time I worked day shift, I'm going, what is this thing they call sunlight, man? I had, <laughs> I was sleeping light? with tin foil over my windows and stuff so I could sleep. But, but And that was in his cruiser. Only your body ever adapts to coming off. And I did the first Probably six or eight years was nights, and it's still 
It's tough. Yeah. It is. Especially when they rotate the shifts. When I was a trooper, we'd work three nights, three days, three days off. So you might go to work at Friday night at 6 p.m. and get off at 3 a.m. in the morning. By the time you get done going to work on Tuesday, you were going to work at 7 a.m. in the morning and getting off at 3 p.m. So, I mean, it was just like, it was, yeah, it was 5 a.m. I should say we went to work at 5 a.m. and got off at 2 p.m. So anyway, long story short, back to you. So you did, but what you said you kind of got your hand slapped. How did you start getting this bug for wanting to do interdiction? Was it something you learned from training you went to, or did you just stop? Did you just start stopping a lot of cars and saying, Hey man, there's a lot of shit in these cars. Actually, there was a trooper. Uh, one of our state troopers was on an interdiction team and, uh, he, he worked in our County. So I started hanging out with him and seeing he, he got some pretty decent pops off the interstate. So I started collecting all the knowledge I could from him and applying it to, to myself, you know, how I was working cars on the interstate. And one day, probably two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, I stopped a, a crew cab Chevrolet truck for no license plate lamp and got in a pursuit with it. Guy took off running, chased after him, didn't find him. I get back to the car and there's 1,284 pounds of weed. And to me, you know, I'd never seen anything. Nobody in the area had ever seen anything like that. So man, from, from right then I was, I was hooked. You know, and that's the exact thing, the same thing I said about DEA, because the, the first case I got to work on was I a uniform cop. I saw two ounces of powder coke. The first case I got to work on, it wasn't my case. I was just doing some undercover on it. We picked up 400 kilos of cocaine down in the Caribbean. And I tell everybody, I went from two ounces to 880 pounds. I was addicted to cocaine just in a different yeah, way. Yeah, but Murph, and that's you exactly also, what happened to you, Randy. You also didn't believe it. There, there's, there's not 400 kilos of coke in the entire world. You know, oh, I, I've never seen anything like that, <laughs> man. I, I listened to a few, a few of the guys y'all spoke to uh, previously and it, it blows my mind. I mean, I think I'm out here hitting big lows and man, who knows what's getting by. Yeah. But let me tell you, let, don't, don't discount that yet because a lot of these big cases start from interdiction stops and we'll get into that Absolutely. too, because you, you, you know, um, in fact, one of the cases we talked with Paul Crane and Abe Perez about, those were the two real DEA agents who caught Pablo one of the big cases they started with is because they Chapo. were they were bored. But, Chapo, not Pablo. Oh, Pablo. I'm sorry. You know, well, you know, one's dead, one's alive. What's the difference? You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're no longer a problem. And Chapo is not tunneling out of this prison in Florence ADX. But, oh no. Yeah, but but you know, but they were that one big case. Uh, Paul talked about where he got like a thousand kilos or 1,200 kilos. All started because they were bored and they saw a big Cadillac or whatever driving around and they decided to follow it. So these cases start with that. But let's let's talk about this this first stop that you got. When you turned around, was was the dope concealed in any way, or was it just in the bed of the truck? What was the? How did you find it? I mean, it was twelve hundred eighty-four pounds in a pickup truck. It was everywhere. I think the back seats were even pulled out just to stack the bundles up to the roof. Yeah, it was, you could probably smell it when you walked up to it. I you? mean, my adrenaline. Probably when he drove by, he went, "That smells like weed." Uh, you know, my <laughs> adrenaline was pumping so so much from the pursuit and the foot chase that even initially clearing the car for bodies for other people before I continued to to run after the guy, it never even clicked until I got back and like, "Holy shit!" Like that's all <laughs> weed, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's a buttload of weed. It yeah. was. It was. Now, did you ever make an arrest on that, or did that guy get away totally? No, he totally got away. Yeah, they they hit the woods out here, man. Most of them, I, I think they turn into the trees, man. I don't know. The disappearance. Oh, yeah. and, he, and he's just a mule anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And most of the time, you know, these guys don't even know who they're working for. They're just told, drive this pickup from here to here. And even if you catch them, all they can do is go back, you know, well, this is where I picked the truck up at. I mean, it's, but that's why a lot of the stuff is so important. I mean, the evidence that you collect. So, but this is before you had a dog, right? This is pre-canine? 
Yeah, so this was before I had a dog. And then actually, uh, so, so we were told to stay off the interstate. We were, the, they were more into patrolling the back roads and stuff like that. So I had made this stop. And then uh, maybe a week later, I was doing the same thing out on the interstate in the you know, early morning hours and hit another, you know, probably 160 pounds, wasn't a whole bunch. But then I actually was told to stay off the interstate. And uh, so I wasn't allowed to work the interstate anymore. And th there was a position that came open for a dog and interdiction. And, and you know, unfortunately, the, the good old buddy system, it wasn't going to me. So is that because you were a problem employee, Randy? Am I detecting the fact is that you were wanting to do a lot more work than what was being allowed? I probably caused, you know, a lot of work for people that didn't really want to work. Maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no sympathy for those people. <laughs> oh, yeah. We used to call them road, retired on active duty or, you know, officer do, do nothing. Um, we had a yeah. few of the officer do's, but uh, how long were you at the Colorado Sheriff's Office? So about four and a half years. And I got to the point to where, man, I, I kind of was dis disappointed with law enforcement. I mean, you know, that was my first job. I, I didn't really know that there was anything other than that so i mean it got, it got to the point to where man i wasn't doing anything i was sitting around just letting hours pass just to go home one of the guys that was uh, my partner over there on night shift actually got a job over here in fayette county and uh, then he started talking to me about how how different it was and i should come over here and so that's that's how it got started now are you adjoining counties yeah we touch okay and, but I-10 runs through them both, so that's a good thing, right? Yeah, it does. So uh, when did you – When did you? so you, you four and a half years on, did you get on right away then at the, the sheriff's office in Fayette County? I did. So I kind of had already made a little reputation. The, the sheriff over here, the you know, you know they already knew kind of what kind of work I was doing over there. So I, I wasn't too quick to come uh, after a little bit of, you know – pressure i finally gave in and came over here and it was it was the best i mean it's totally opposite of what i was used to and, and the best move i could have ever made so how many how many deputies do you have sworn officers there in fayette county so i'm, I'm not gonna know exactly but probably about 32 to 35 something like that which sounds like a lot of officers but when you divide them up into shifts and off days you get a couple guys per shift yeah so we, we actually i mean uh it's it's more covered than it has been in a long time so we probably have uh about three, three to four on a, a, a shift. Yeah, but to cover a whole county. Yeah, for a thousand square miles. <laughs> a thousand square miles. Let's just put that in perspective. I mean, that's probably bigger than the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> you know, imagine <laughs> patrolling Rhode Island with just four troopers out, you know, at the whole time. So four deputies. But that's okay. What's the saying down in Texas? One riot, one ranger. That's all it takes. That's it. To, to work that shit. So when you go over there, what what did you start off doing? Obviously working, did you have to go through the jail or did you go straight to the road? No, I went straight to the road, nighttime patrol. Uh, ended up with the same partner that I had before, and, you know, started working the, the county, you know, putting people in jail. And didn't have any issues. You know, I knew I knew it was going to be a good place to work. I was still on FTO and uh, I arrested a guy. I can't remember what he was arrested for, but so he, he was being handcuffed and he spit, he spit in my face. So I pushed, him, I pushed him into the car, you know, as he spit on me. And, uh, later the next day I was walking by the sheriff's office and, uh, the, the dude's husband, the dude's wife 
was in there complaining to the sheriff. And, I, you know, I kind of slowed down and, and started listening to see what they were talking about. And I, when I heard the sheriff tell that lady, if I was there when your husband spit in my deputy's face, I would still be beating his ass. I said, this is going to be the place for me. So <laughs> I knew 100% he had my back. And, I mean, ever since then, it, it's never changed. That's, that's outstanding because that's rare. Well, it's rare. And when you listen to Ron White, you know, that comedian he talks about, he's from Texas. He goes, in Texas, if you kill us, we will kill you back. In fact, we got an express lane for the death penalty. You know, he, <laughs> they, they do things a little different down in Tejas, uh, you know, down there. Um, but you start, you start, so, I mean, you start getting a good idea, but at what point does the opportunity come to start working with dogs? I mean, did you have to work into that, apply to that? How does that come about for you? Yeah, so it, it took a little time. Uh, I did the nighttime patrol. Um, then after that, I did plainclothes narcotics for a while uh, here, and I kind of worked with a good friend of mine, that Matt, in, in Austin County. We worked together plainclothes narcotics. And then we had seized some property out here, and – you know, the sheriff asked, is there anything specific that I wanted? And at the time, you know, you hit the county real hard with narcotic search warrants and stuff like that. It, it'll slow down for a little it'll bit. It'll dry you know? up. Yeah. Right. So in that spare time, I would get in a, a patrol car and go hit the interstate and we start, you know, stopping cars because my real passion was interdiction, man. You know, getting the big dope for me, that's that's what I enjoyed doing. And I started hitting some some loads of dope and some loads of money off the interstate and uh you know, the sheriff allowed me to get a dog and it kind of just all transitioned from, hey, if you want to just do that full time, you know, we'll find a new some new narcotics guy. So that's that's kind of where it started. Let's go back to a couple of your seizures you had pre canine. Um, what was the as you made the stops, what kind of things again, without giving away state state secrets, but what were you doing out there on the interstate to give you enough reason? Now, this is where we have to educate people. A lot of people say, well, you didn't have probable cause for the stop. Folks don't need probable cause for the stop. Just need probable cause to arrest. So, um, what kind of things were happening on interstate that were drawing your attention? So back then when I first started, man, I didn't, I didn't do a whole bunch of interdiction classes. I didn't really know what the smart way to do it. So it, it was just a lot of stops, man. A lot of just if I seen a violation, you were getting pulled over until I was able to to build kind of what I was looking for for this area. You know, I think it's different for, you know, every time you cross a major metropolitan area, I think your traffickers change. And once I figured this out, you know, then then I was able to start, I guess, targeting the vehicles a little bit smarter. Yeah, because a lot of times, too, it's about the vehicle as well. A lot of people say, well, you're picking on me because I'm this or I'm that. No, a lot of times what you're looking for is there are certain vehicles. They, they would have you, – you've got this database. I think Customs had it or Border Patrol, the Traps database. You could see Mercury's or Ford's back in my day or whatever else. You know, they would have – you would understand based on this Traps database where they would conceal dope. So you'd be looking at the vehicles. Uh, what were some of the popular uh, vehicles people were using during that time to do trafficking? Well, when I first started, it was a lot of work trucks. You know, the oil the oil industry was were real big. Huge out so, there. Yeah. yeah. So anything oil related, uh, work related. I mean, an F one fifty, an F two fifty that came by, bro. It was it was good. So older models. You know, I don't want to get too much into the details because I don't know who listens to this. But there's there's specific stuff that we look for uh, pretext. You know, on the stop. A small p. You're not looking at people. You're looking at actions. You're looking at vehicles and behaviors and stuff. But now that, how did the world change for you when you went through the interdiction training 
before when you were just trying to brute force it? Well, it wasn't interdiction training, man. It was kind of just putting together everything I was learning. I was I was so ate up with it. I mean, it was uh, it wasn't an interest, man. It was a, a passion, a discipline. I mean, I was so ate up that I mean, I shit you not. I was I had a notebook where I'd write down like 2005. Ford F-150 stopped Wednesday at 150. You know, this is what I got out of it. And I was like, it makes no sense to me at all now because the dope's moving every day, all day and night. But at that time, I'm like, shit, when am I getting the most amount of seizures? And whenever that was, I mean, my eyes were wide open, you know. So uh, I think I just learned a lot by by initiating stuff my, for myself, you know. You never went to like a Operation Pipeline school uh, the DEA puts on or any of that? No, later, later on, uh, after I had already figured it out, you know, we kind of go to these, uh, interdiction conferences, but it's more about the getaway than the classes. But, uh, always is. Yeah, I did. But if, but if you're listening, <laughs> Sheriff, he takes notes during the whole time he attends every class. Randy's there Absolutely. eight hours a day. Sheriff's there with me. He knows exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, darn. Okay. Uh, that, that, no, so uh, I did take uh, a HITS class, a Highway Interdiction Training System. So those guys work on I-20 up there, uh, Billy and Ronnie. And uh, they, they, there was some good information. We went and worked the Sarita Foul checkpoint for a day, and then they went over some compartment stuff. But, you know, I, I started realizing, I mean, you can watch Net Geo uh, Border Wars and, and learn everything you need to know because every single thing that was they were getting on that bridge is what's passing me on the highway. Did you have did you have access to the El Paso Intelligence Center where you could call in and, and get information that way? Yeah, so when I first started, man, I have access to anything. Uh, I barely had a computer, but now now I have. I mean, I've I've uh, put money into the seizure fund, and I have everything. I have everything I need, and it makes interdiction so much easier. I have Epic, I have Dice Darts, uh, two LPR systems. You know, I have a lot of access that helps. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're the first person we've had on here. And I, and I, I, I mean, we've had multiple guests on the show. You're the first person to mention dice and darts. And that's th something that was started by, by DEA Special Operations Division in conjunction with uh, the OCDF Fusion Center and some other centers. That's, okay, I'm, hold on. Time out, guys. <laughs> we have a rule, too. You can't throw out a bunch of acronyms. So uh, EPIC is El Paso Information Center. Do you know what yep. dice and darts stand for, Randy? I don't. Uh, the other one's diesel too. It's all the same system. Yeah. But I, yeah, they've. I don't know, Steve. When the last time you've looked into that stuff? But it's come a long way. Yeah, and I've been retired since thirteen, so it's been a while, bro. Well, no, Steve's been retired since oh two. He just got paid until oh thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, let's see here. We got the uh, dice. Is uh, well. It's not showing me what that's the That's okay. We will we for. will get into the acronyms later. We will keep the story moving forward. But but suffice it to say that when things first started, um, I was one of four troopers that went through some interdiction training with some guys from DEA because we had uh, Highway 54 was part of Operation Pipeline. So US 54 coming up out of Mexico. US 83 was the only north-south unbroken highway in the United States. So we didn't know what we were looking for at that time. And I know personally, I missed a lot of stuff out on the highway because I had no idea what I was looking for. But once we started getting a better idea, things started changing. But go back for a minute, Randy, on a couple of the seizures. when Before the dog, when you got some seizures, what was one of the largest cash seizures you got? Man, I don't even know if I hit cash until after I got a dog. It was more about the dope for me. Um, money 
And, and still to this day, man, money's always, unfortunately, more of a headache because everybody has something. Wants a part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think my first money seizure was probably only about $78,000, which is enough because Sheriff had said, you know, at that t- at that time it was known that if, if you got a money seizure over 50 grand, then he was going to let you get whatever kind of patrol car you want. So my first money seizure was for the purpose of me getting a black Tahoe. That's what I wanted. So, uh yeah, that that was the first I got was about seventy eight thousand dollars and a little bit of weed, but yeah, because because the other thing too, we want to be careful. If so, people understand it's not just going out just because you find money. You you just don't take it. I mean, there's there are rules around it too because there has to be indicia of drug activity or linked to drug trafficking or. Because we have to be careful is that if you just start seizing money for the sake of seizing money, it starts setting bad capes president. So but a lot of your stuff, you were finding, like you said, even a little bit of weed tied to it or, you know, indicators that they're involved in drug trafficking was enough to seize the money. When you seize that money that time, did you guys have to go through the feds uh, to seize it? Did they like the FBI or DEA adopt the seizure for you? or Did you guys do it through the state? Yeah, fortunately here, man, we we can do that on the state level. There, there's a money laundering charge. It's you know over ten grand if you can't prove. Uh, of course, using common sense, but if you can't prove where you obtain the money from, then it, then it's on you to prove that in court. Yeah, and that and the the person holding that money has all the legal authority in the world to just show you that it's legitimate income. It's you know it's not that you you stop somebody and just took their money because they had a large amount of cash. There's other factors that go into consideration that lead you to believe that that's drug-related proceeds. Yeah, absolutely. And gives you the authority absolutely. to seize it at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Like this, this of course was as more of a, a small mid-level type seizure. The seventy-eight thousand. It was San Antonio back to Houston. So the there was dope with with the drugs and the guys. You know, they're they're more of your gang banger type guys. You know, they flush the money in the toilet. It don't make a fuck to me. You know, that's that that was their exact word. So. Uh, when you get into the the cartel or trafficking side of the money, it's it's obvious. It's super obvious. It, it's vacuum sealed. It's rubber banded. It's grease and fabric softener and compartments. A lot more than seventy eight thousand dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, now now we we're running into this little spill of human trafficking. They they seem to only send between thirty and sixty back at a time. But yeah, when you're talking dope, it's over a hundred a hundred grand at a time. Well, yeah, it has to be because otherwise, from a logistic standpoint, you know, it just it makes it so difficult to have five or six cars. You know, you, you don't want to m- minimize your risk. But, um, right. yeah, the money is you're right. Money's a headache, but money's also an enabler, too. Like you said, it helps you get equipment in ways that your normal taxes and stuff couldn't support it. Um when you so let's let's walk through getting your first dog. Let's talk about the process of what it's like to become a canine officer. So, a position comes open. You know how does that work? How did you get your first canine there at Fayette County? So uh, it was something because of the interdiction at the time for me. It was it get every tool that I could get that I could use on the interstate to seize you know dope, and so uh, the dog was was a big tool. Um, so the sheriff pretty much gave me free reign, told me, hey, find a place, get a dog. You know, I'll let you get whatever you want from wherever, you know, wherever. And I ended up there was a couple places that caught my interest. Um, one of them was a lot busier. Um, I forget the name of the kennel now. They were doing a bunch of military contract stuff at the time. So I ended up going with ASCT. And uh, once they went overseas, picked out some dogs, thought the dog, the, you know, found a dog that they thought would work best for me. And I ended up going up there, you know, I think it was like almost a month to get 
all the training, initial training I needed with the dog and, and for myself being a new handler. And that was Culpeper, Virginia. Yes, it was in Culpeper. Yeah, that's the American Society of Canine Trainers, ASCT. And there's also another one down at Front Royal. So, you know what, you know, so there's another one down in Front Royal, a great, uh, so we'll talk, let's talk about that next part. Man, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I hit the right time of the year. It was, it was beautiful down there, man. It was, it was super nice. Were you in the fall it or is. the spring? I think I was in the spring, uh, and I was actually near, I don't know why this sticks in my man, in my mind, but the ranch, I guess, where the Superman had like paralyzed himself was somewhere over in that area. Huh. Oh, really? I'll have to look. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I, I know there's a lot of history down in Culpeper. In fact, that's Washington's, the his Culpeper ring, but they made AMC turnabout and stuff. So a lot of history down in that area. In fact, uh, there's a couple bed and breakfasts down there we've been to there. So it's beautiful. But there's another huge canine training facility over at Front Royal, Steve. And I think there's some Fed stuff that they're worth ATF, DEA, military. So for some reason, a couple places in Virginia seem to have that. But um, you yeah. did the research on this. So you go down there. What, what does the training involve? And I'm really interested, too, and when they say they wanted to pick out a dog that was good for you, what did they do, like a psychological exam on you? Have you pick out shapes and colors? What? Man, uh, it's funny you say that because basically that's what it is. I mean, so Chris Acock is is uh, the guy that, that I've been dealing with for years, and he's he has a Ph.D., he's a doctor, and he's, he's brilliant with dogs, man. So exactly what you said, man. He talked to me uh, several different times, kind of grasped my personality and, you know, how I work and my whole demeanor and basically went and paired, you know, found a dog that he thought would work best with me and brought it back. Wow. Yeah. What, 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 what breed was your first dog? So the first one I had was a black, uh, German shepherd. What was the name? His name was Knight, and he, he, he passed away pretty quick. Uh, we had him probably a little over a year. So he oh, must wow. Have, yeah, he must have been a couple years old, but one of the adjoining counties that got in a pursuit, uh, a trooper got in a pursuit with a suspect that ran through a house and took off on foot. And uh, being a young handler, I mean, I'll take all the responsibility. It's all my fault. But uh, they say those dogs will work until they die. Man, that's literally what they'll do. So we, oh, we, tra- we tracked the guy. It was, it was hot. It was a dried out like a uh, lake with a bunch of cane and stuff that went down. So we kind of got t- twisted and turned around in that. And then, uh, I mean, he just overheated. Oh, yeah. So that's a shame. So the loss, the, the mm. first one. And then uh, second, the second one, it took a little bit harder. It took a little, a little bit more time to get. I don't know if there was like a shortage on good dogs or something in Europe, but uh, went back to ASCT and, and did the same thing and ended up with a, a, a mouse. So what what is why why is Europe such a, a hub for getting dogs from? So I was told I asked that same question too, and I was told that uh, just because the general love for dogs in Europe is different, um, you know, if the dog's going to be pur- uh, purchased or not purchased, they're still going to put the same amount of time and effort into the dog, other than like here where the dog would just be kenneled until it was sold and then it would be worked with. So did they do a lot of training in Europe before they brought it over? Was there a lot of uh, pre-work done before the dog is brought to the U.S.? No, it's not trained there. It's uh, It comes over completely green. I think the only thing they're looking for over there, I mean, they might have some obedience. You know, the dog's super young still, maybe a year old, some basic obedience. And uh, I think just the prey, the prey drive and the, the you know, the hunt drive is, is kind of what they're looking for initially while the dog's still over there. How do they evaluate that? Have you seen them do it, or did they tell you about how they evaluate that? Yeah, so the, I, I would assume that, you know, the, the prey drive, uh, the hunt drive is what the dog needs to hunt for the dope. So 
I guess an example would be like take a ball and throw it into, you know, six foot grass and see how long the dog's going to hunt before he gives up. And I mean, a good dog just don't give up. He just keeps hunting until he finds the ball and the prey drives just to play, you know, how, how active the dog is and how much energy he's willing to put into what he's doing. Then you said Mal. That's it. How do you pronounce it? It's a Belgian. Is it Malinois? Mal- Malinois? Yeah. Well, we say Malinois, but it looks like Malinois. I mean, I guess it's French. Yeah. You have to say Malinois and pair it with a fine wine. <laughs> you silly Americans. So well, uh, it comes from Belgium. How's how, how's that a French word? Uh, but have you not have you not seen what they speak over there in Belgium? Yeah. Yeah, I have. There's Flemish. There's French. There's all sorts of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. These people are very talented. Yeah. They make great beer too, and I have a bunch of it in my basement as we speak. But um, <laughs> hey, but, but but in terms of the training and stuff, though, too, once once they match the dog up with you and they think it's the right temperament, how how does the initial introduction go? What do they do basically on your first day of training? When do you do you see the dog right away? How does this? Because I I don't know. I've never been through canine training. So how does that process work for you to get introduced to your new dog? Man, it's been so long since it's been day one, but I, I mean, I know it was, it was uh, all positive. You know, I can't remember exactly what we did on the first day, you know, maybe some ball throws, uh, you know, just some positive uh, engagement between the handler and the dog, and then just slowly start working into obedience and, you know, finding, playing the dope game, you know, playing the dope game with the dog, the, hide the dope and the dog finds the dope and you reward them. That's all positive between you and the dog. And, you start the learning process. What would the what would the price range be for a dog like that? Well, if, according to Christy, it's only a thousand dollars. That's what she thought they were—just a thousand dollars for a dog. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. She's paid some pretty steep amounts for dogs. Uh, I, I, I think um, that dog was—you know—he was nothing special, young. I think maybe twelve, you know, eight to twelve thousand, eight to twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, just for a green young dog. I think she said uh, they were paying about fifteen on average for a new dog, and then plus you had the training expenses on top of that. Yeah, so that I was uh, referring to the first dog. Yeah, the, the dog I have now, I know she paid quite a bit more for, and and you're exactly right. You know, there's some there's some handlers getting dogs now that uh, were being pre-trained for like SWAT and stuff. So are they titled or or, or whatever? So yeah, they come at a, a much deeper price. Go back to that training for a minute. So a lot of this is you working with the dog. How much time is spent in the classroom? How much is time spent with the dog, you know, when you're out there training? So it's a lot of classroom and a lot of dogs. So, you, you know, obviously you can't run the dog all day. Most of the dog stuff comes in increments. You know, you run the dog 15, 20 minutes at a time, and then you put them up. And then it's, it's book work. And, I mean, at ASCT, we learned uh, so much about dogs. I mean how they breathe, their olfactory sensory, uh, you know, how they s- store scents. I mean, just everything, the, the scent receptors in their nose, the, the capabilities they have for smelling. I mean, it was a lot of book work, a lot of tests that you have to pass uh, before, you know, you can certify with the dog. So it's not just as simple as getting a dog and going to work. It's not, man. You know, that guy, Chris, man, he's, it's his passion. So he doesn't take it lightly and he puts you, you know, he gives you everything you need to, you know, later on down the road, there's, there's obstacles that you have to fix and you have to figure out how to fix them on your own, you know, cause you're stuck in Texas with a dog and you're not in Virginia. Of course, a phone call away, but a lot of that stuff you can figure out just because of the knowledge of the dog. What was the most wow. interesting thing you learned about your your second dog, your new dog? What was the most interesting thing you learned about dogs that you never knew? 
when I when I first got dogs, uh, I, I knew absolutely nothing. I mean, it, it, being from Texas, we had dogs, but I mean, they weren't to the standards of these dogs. So I've I've learned, man, so much the drive, the bond, the the scent capabilities, the I mean, the, the how well they see and hear. I mean, everything. I've learned a lot. Are you are you married and have children, and your dog lives with the family? Yeah, so uh, I'm married. I do have kids, and the dog stays outside in the cage. I learned a hard lesson. You know, these dogs are working dogs; they're not pets. So I'll, I'll just tell you the story real quick. This is with the second dog that I got. I was living in a condo, and uh, so the first dog I got. Let me back up even further. When we started season dope, uh, we started running out of no, nobody was really making seizures like like I was before I got here. So we ran out of storage to store the dope I was getting. So we had to build another building. Well, in the meantime, they were having to store dope in little metal sheds that were in the back uh, security gate where we were keeping some of the vehicles. Long story short, trustee gets wind of where the dope's at. He goes to Austin, him and his gangbanger friends. I'm keeping the dog at the sheriff's office. They poison the dog. They cut the back of the shed open. They steal hundreds of pounds of hydro. So the reason I tell you all that now is because now the second dog I have, he is living with me in my condo in a crate. So he goes from the truck to the crate. Well, I had to pick my kid up from school and she, she goes upstairs first. She's probably five or six at the time. She goes upstairs. She changes for soccer. I come in with the dog. She shoots across the living room. Dog grabs her by the face, just reaction. So, uh, oh, oh, yeah, man. no dog stay, no working dog stay in my house now. So they're, they're all outside. I mean, she's, she ended up with some staples and stitches in her face. Nothing, nothing life changing, but, uh, I learned a, a valuable lesson for sure. Oh my goodness. And is that because the dog perceived her as a threat to you or just a threat or uh, as somebody like a fleeing fugitive? I think it's prey. I mean, I think the dog, it's like a rabbit that just took off across the living room. You know, the the dog's initial response is to grab it. It's not like he grabbed her and violently attacked her. He grabbed her and, and, you know, immediately let her go. But because of the training the dog sees every day, you know, she's running across the, the room with with a shirt that she's wailing around, you know, during training, we have bad guys, you know, whipping sticks and waving their hands and running. And it's just what the dog's used to, to engaging in. And your, your dogs now they're trained for drugs and for attack. Is that right? Yeah. So I've had all, all dual purpose dogs. So they track handler protection, which is a bite work, uh, patrol that, you know, building searches and such, and then narcotics. How much more intensive does that make the training, you know, with, when you have the dual purpose, you know, or the, multidisciplinary dogs. I mean, does your training extend farther then? I mean, uh, what was four weeks now becomes eight weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even it, it, the initial training and then just training every day, you know, that are on a weekly basis, you have more disciplines to train and, you know, whatever you're going to train, it, it takes more time, but it's well worth it. So what does an average day look like when you have a working dog? I mean, um, both when you're on duty and off duty. So let's talk about on duty. I mean, you just look like you say part of it is training. How do you how do you go about training every day with a canine? So usually we set a day aside a week for training, which is a full day of canine group training. But on a daily basis, for me, I like to break the week down. Like I'll I'll 
plan ahead of time before I get to work, say, I'm going to do some dope hides in the morning. So I get to the sheriff's office. I have a seizure lot where I store all my seized vehicles uh, that I've gotten. So I'll throw out, you know, two or three dope hides, let them sit for a little bit, run the dog. Takes about 30 minutes, you know, put the dog in the truck, then we go work the road, you know. So I do that a couple times a week, two or three times a week. And then I might hit buildings. We're not really doing a lot of building searches. We're more highway interdiction you know, traffic stops. So buildings, I might hit once a week, uh, the tracking, uh, at least a couple times a week, you know, you can do some handler lay tracks where you don't even, you know, you just lay a track, put a toy and then walk the track back the same way you went and then have the dog track your track. Uh, it works well. And then a lot of the stuff, man, like, uh, the patrol stuff, the, the building searches and, and stuff like that, you get done that one day when you have a group of people that can help, hide and be in the suit and you know be bad guys be in the suit being in the bite suit yeah the bite suit the bite sleeve or we muzzle the dog and yeah and when somebody pisses you off you forget to uh put the bite suit on them and say hey go no 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 that's that would be that would be bad hey go back the other thing i'm fascinated too because you see it uh with them is that people think the objective for the dog is to find the dope it's not the objective is not for them to find the dope. It's to get the reward after finding the dope, right? I mean, is, is that part of the theory behind it? In other words, they find the dope to get the reward? Yeah. So the dog, I mean, the, the training, the initial training the dog receives, you're trying to get the dog to want to find the dope because he's wanting the ball. So, I mean, yeah, he, he wants the, the toy. He doesn't care about the dope. Yeah. So it, initially you have to like uh, put it in the dog's mind that where you see this odor is where you find your toy. And so that's what he's looking for is the toy. How do you reward them when they don't find anything, when there's nothing to be found, like you've got a completely clean car? So he doesn't get rewarded if he doesn't find anything, if there's no dope. Even if he alerts to something and there's, not, you know, residual odor or can last, you know, in cars when there's not, the dope's not actually present. So, you know, you might get a, a good alert, but there's nothing present. He doesn't get rewarded. A lot of it, his reward, I mean, your, your drive, your, the way you're running your dog, your, your energy, the, the energy you're putting off, you know, that that's what the dog feeds off of. So he doesn't have to be rewarded every single time for doing something. Okay. Mm. And so when you, at what point do you reward the dog? It's like, you know, we're going to talk about one of your seizures up here, but it's like, sometimes it takes you a while to uh, open up the vehicle or to find the stuff. So w at what point does the reward come during that? So it, on live and on live and training, it can be different, you know, timing, uh, it plays an important role when it comes to being a canine handler, like the timing that the dog's getting paid, like during training, I might put a, a dope hide where I know exactly where it is. And as soon as the dog gives me a response and indication, the ball's already bouncing off the car and hitting him in the face. Whereas to on the side of the road, you know, if I get an alert, well, first of all, he hasn't really, you know, we haven't been to the source. We haven't located the dope yet. And I can't bounce a ball off the side of a, a car on the highway, you know, cause it's going to bounce all over the place. So it doesn't have to be right away uh, or, or it can be, you know, you put the dog up or the dog finds the dope and then you redeploy them and maybe give them a tug. So you just, it's always changing. The It keeps the dog always guessing. What does that mean when you give him a tug? It's another re uh, reward. So the dog, well, at least my dog, all dogs are different. So my dog has Kongs, which is like a ball that bounces he likes, and then a tug, which is like a, 
like a rope toy or something. Exactly. And he just tugs on it. It's like you, Murph. If, that's how we reward you. You know, you get a cup of coffee if you stay awake for the whole episode. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I work cheap. I'm easy and cheap. But uh, can you say, and I don't want you to give up anything you're not comfortable giving up. Can you say when, when your dog finds something, how does he alert? Yeah, so he sits. Well, he, he's supposed to sit. He's passive, but he's he's so high energy that if he may like punch it a couple times. There's some videos. I mean, he'll he'll punch the door a couple times, and then he sits and he's looking straight up. I mean, he he's a passive alert, but sometimes he, he throws in a little aggressiveness. But <laughs> I I believe it was DEA who learned that lesson when we were talking to some guys about an interdiction about the difference between passive and active dogs. They started going to passive dogs because somebody who taped a kilo of dope underneath their leg and got hit on by an active dog. Basically, he shredded his gonads going after the dope. Yeah, so. The, the the previous dogs I've had were aggressive alerts, which I liked, man. It looked pretty. I love seeing my dog tear up a dope, you know, a dope car, just scratching the shit out of it. But on the other hand, finding lo- locations to train on, you know, people don't really want to want you using their their cars on the car lot if your dog's scratching. So. <laughs> Dollar, you know, Ford F one fifty. Sorry, pal. You know. <laughs> But thanks for your cooperation. <laughs> Good luck getting up, buffing those things out of the clear coat, you know, on your paint there. Yeah. But uh, so now, how many years now have you been working with the canine? Oh man, I want to say I got the first dog in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. So, what twelve years, maybe? You mentioned another word too, the bond. Let's talk about the bond between a, a handler and their dog. Um, tell, I mean, the Belgians. We heard the mouths are. Uh, of just what I was reading about some of them, that like they are out of a lot of the dogs, they have the most, I don't want to say aggressive bond, but they are the most, they're the dog that bonds, I mean, very strongly with the handler. Is that correct? I mean, I think uh, any good working dog, I mean, as much time you spend with them, they're going to bond. I mean, once you get that initial bond, it's, it's hard to explain if you're not a canine handler. It's like, you know, having a human person that you've worked with for five years every day for 10 to 12 hours, they can read your mind, you know, they can feel your emotion. And uh, it's it's really, it's undescribable, man. So I'll give you an example, man. This is, this is crazy, man, to me, uh, kind of when I first, I guess, understood like how much the dog really reads you. So I had, I stopped an 18 wheeler, the guy was like super suspect, like nervous, not compliant, evasive, like the whole time, like not, wouldn't talk, you know? So I get him out. I got him in the ditch. I'm trying to, I mean, basically just for my safety right now, trying to make sure he's not trying to kill me. Like get your hands up, lift your shirt up, turn around. Like he's not complying to any of that. I eventually pull my gun out because I'm thinking, okay, this is, it's super odd. Like something is about to happen. So I have my gun, I have my gunpoint giving him instructions to lift his shirt up, pull it, you know, turn around. I want to see his waistband, no compliance. And then out of nowhere, my dog shows up at my side who had crawled through the, the kennel through the center portion of the, had a crown Vic at a time, <laughs> jumped out of the passenger window. Oh <laughs> and now is that is healing by my side and barking at this guy. And I mean, it took maybe two barks. And the guy said, I got a gun. I got a gun and it's in my back. And I'm like, really, dude, I got a fucking gun pointed at your face. This whole time you don't do nothing, but the dog barks and now you're complying. Yeah. So to me, man, just that's an example just shows like, you know, I, I never called for the dog. I never, 
even thought he would show up or you know but that's got to be the best freaking feeling oh in the world, man though. yeah yeah for sure yeah and you know bad guys mm. taste like chicken to dogs you know <laughs> no, it tastes like chicken <laughs> hey do you have an emergency release button uh, for the door it's like so if you need help right away yeah i do yeah so we have uh on the vest there's a popper which at the time that was a crown big that was uh i mean i had i had nothing then but now i have all the cool stuff you have all the cool toys paid for by the cartels and the people violating the law. It's so great when Thank they you contribute. Very much. And, and Christy Schiller. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. her rich friends who like to give lots of money to give dogs away. Unless the one who thought it was when they had a demonstration. I don't, she probably told you this too, but when they did their first fundraiser and they were showing the dogs and, you know, doing the dope hides, she thought that they were just tricks. Oh, that's like a party trick. That's so cool. No, it's not a party trick. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Uh. Hey, well, let's start. Let's um, before we get into this big seizure. What is the hairiest situation you've had to face with one of your canines? Um, what's one of the toughest situations you were involved in? Man, I don't know. Uh, Harry, I mean, losing the first dog was a little. Uh, you know, I didn't really like that. Uh, as far as like bad guys, like chasing bad guys, Harry, maybe uh, the second dog. So some guys showed up uh, to this residence and held a family at gunpoint and stole some stuff and took off running. Um, I guess that's not a good example, but we ended up tracking them down. They were hiding in a barn. Really nothing I can think of that's that's too crazy. But, well, you know, I mean, just going back to that example you showed where you're, or you just told us about where your dog just showed up beside your side there. Your experience and your training is what kept you alive because, you know, we all know action is quicker than reaction. So if you, you know, probably think people are probably thinking, well, you, you thought something was wrong, but you pulled a gun and pointed at that man. It's based on your experience realizing that if he had gone for his gun the same time you went for yours, who's the quicker draw? I mean, it sounds, sounds Western like some TV show, but the truth is, he could have beat you on the draw and killed you out there on the road that day. So I just want to point out to the listeners, you don't just normally pull people over and stick a gun in their face. There's circumstances that result in that behavior. Yeah. And it, and it goes, I mean, that sticks out. I mean, I talk to it, I talk about it like it's so uh, casual, but to the normal person, I mean, you got to realize you're stopping multiple cars a day. Like, you know, I don't even know. You're, you're meeting with multiple people a day. Like, so when you stop that one car and that one guy and you get all this adverse, different behavior that that's not normal, it sticks out. So it's so obvious. And it's the same thing with the dope. I mean, when you're searching cars and searching cars and searching cars, and then, you know, you look underneath, uh, a Nissan Altima and you see something that you've never seen on a Nissan Altima, then it's the same thing, man. It's the, it's that difference sticks out immediately. Hey, Absolutely. Let's go back to this one with the truck driver real quick. What, what do you think was the biggest indicator was most likely is your voice, right? Your, your dog heard your voice, um, escalating, telling the guy, do you think it was what, what, what in other words, I'm trying to figure out what, what triggered the dog? Cause you, like right. you said, it knew you so well to get up there and crawl through, I mean, basically break out of the car and come up by your side. Yeah, it would have to be the voice or the, the commands or I mean, I, I don't know, because to be honest with you, I never one time I, I I forgot I even had a dog like the shit was getting serious. You know, I never looked back like I don't know what what, it you know, caused him to to leave the car and come out. But I would assume that probably, you know, the my voice and, you know, maybe so. 
It's, it's like when you're in an armed encounter or, or you're fighting and you're on the street and backup shows up. <laughs> That's why I say it's got to be the best feeling in the world because when you hear those sirens coming, you know help's on the way. Uh, when you hear that wolf, we had a guy one time, at oh, yeah. another agency, but uh, didn't have a dog but got on the PA and started barking like a dog. I mean, it's like, didn't work. He thought it would work. So, no, it didn't slow the guy down at all. But uh, there, uh, there are huge deterrents for sure. I mean, you can pull out a dog, and it changes a lot of people's minds real quick. Yeah. One- well, and the other thing is one of the most dangerous things a police officer in the United States can do, a uniformed police officer can do, is a traffic stop. Yep. Because you have no idea what you're getting into. You're going up there. You don't have your weapon out. I mean, it's just one of the most dangerous things you can ever get involved with. Traffic you're doing stops it and domestic times every violence. Yeah. Day. Yeah, there's a lot of variables to both of those. I mean, the traffic stops not only about the car and the people in the car. I mean, you got to worry about getting run over in your position. Well, those two troopers in Pennsylvania that just got killed, they were helping a homeless guy, you know, a guy, uh, uh, basically a, a hitchhiker or whatever, off the side of the road. And this car tried to pass their troopers' cars on the right and killed both troopers and the the hitchhiker. And just to give them recognition here, Pennsylvania troopers Martin Mack and Brandon Siska. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I know that is that the, the conference I was at this week in they Pennsylvania was memorial. dedicated to their memory. So I had got, uh, when I, I was still on patrol, nighttime patrol, this is, you know, I was still, uh, I had already got the two seizures from the, the previous county I worked for. So I started working these trucks, you know, I'm like, nobody's working these 18 wheelers. So I'm, I'm going to work these trucks. So in the middle of the night, I was stopping them for, uh, you know, s- simple trap, you know, uh, violations, lights being out, uh, ID lights on their cab. And so anyways, what I'm getting to is uh, I stopped an 18 wheeler and I pulled up behind him and he started rolling backwards. And uh, usually it takes just a second for the, the air brakes to set, you know, but it, it was abnormally long to where I had to start backing my patrol car up so he doesn't run into the front of a patrol car. Eventually I'm like, well, the hell with this. I'm not going to keep backing up. I'm just going to pull to the right into the ditch beside him you know and when i do i pulled to the right beside him another 18 wheeler came right behind and smashed into the back of him and they both blew up and the guy burned up and i mean just just to prove your point a simple traffic stop just turned into a huge explosion and you know i'm seconds away from getting smashed but yeah so dude when i just asked you what was the hairiest thing you've been through you forgot that you forgot the day (laughs) come on I didn't use the dog for anything. <laughs> he was hanging out in the back. Holy cow. <laughs> oh, my God. So wh- one, both killed? What happened to the drivers? Yeah, so the the driver of the one I stopped ended up getting killed. No, uh, correction. The guy I stopped lived. The guy in the other truck ended up dying because it hit his fuel cell on the side of that trailer and ignited his truck and trailer. Like they shut the interstate down probably like 14 hours, but. Oh my gosh. Was there, did you find out the reason for the behavior of that truck or in interviews later, was there anything, any contraband or anything on that truck? No, there was, there was no contraband on the truck. And I, and I think the guy was actually, the driver was actually texting and driving or, uh, on the, the one okay. that caused the, the accident. Yeah, just so folks realize, too, a lot of the trucks that are out there on interstates, they're normally, the, the, the limit's supposed to be 80,000 pounds, but you're talking about a truck tractor semi-trailer weighing 80,000 pounds, 40 tons, hitting mm-hmm. another truck at, uh, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. It's not going to be a good day. 
Bang. Dang. It just wasn't your day to go there, man. <laughs> well, uh, it, oh, cow. The, I've watched the video still to this day sometimes when I come across and I'm like, man, you know, and my, my whole thing was uh, I'm going to move to the side. And so, he, you know, when he does stop, because I'm thinking, why does he keep rolling back? You know, I want to see what's going on in the cab. So I pull up beside him and yeah, it just turned crazy real quick. Holy cow. That's when you get out and thank the good man upstairs. Oh, I know. Absolutely. Oof. God, that what what a day. Well, um, anyways, we'll, we'll let you go on that one. I said Harry's situation, but you're right. Technically, you're correct. Did not involve the dog, but uh, in but still, a, man, that's still, a bucket factor. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, you talk about just mere seconds away, right? Seconds change people's lives. So, hey, one other thing I wanted to ask you about too. It's about the commands given. Uh, a lot of the German dogs that used to come over, you'd some of the military dogs. They would use German commands. How are how are you taught to give our commands in German? Are they in Belgian? You know, how are commands given to the dogs? So the first one uh, was German. My second one was German, and the third one's Czech. So you can see I probably fuck them all up. So, but this one now, <laughs> like I was using some of the German ones on the Czech, but I, I got it all figured out. But yeah, it's it's not hard, man. It's it's not like you got to know German or you got to know Czech. I mean, you just you're repeatedly telling the dog this word to get this action and you could tell him anything and eventually he through repetition he picks it up but yeah so this one the one i have now is check what what's what's the what's a give us an example of a command in check that you don't fuck up uh plots or no see i already, I already fucked it up laney <laughs> so laney is lay down and he just told me to attack instead of lay down. I meant lay down, but instead I said attack. Yeah. Yeah. So Plotz and Laney are the same thing, but in one's German and one's Czech. So yeah, his uh, Sodny is sit, uh, Zustan is stay, uh, Laney is lay, Stopa search, uh, a port is like his dope search. Uh, the the Stopa is like his track search. How, so how would you say bite Morgan in the ass? Dersh, like it's just bite. <laughs> And then he, I don't know if he'd get his ass, he would get something, you know, if, yeah, he, thanks, if he didn't get his ass, we could detach him and then manually put it where we needed. Manually yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Randy. I'm going to edit this to make you look really good when we're done with this podcast, pal. And if that ever happens, we need that on video. Uh, no, we don't. Uh, I do. I, I am armed most of the time, Steve. So. But uh, I would never shoot a police dog. We had an incident yesterday where a guy was doing recalls. We, yesterday was our canine training day. A guy was trying to practice his recalls, which is the decoy stands out in the field. And you send the dog on a bite. About halfway, you recall him back. So he recalled him back, and the dog started targeting another guy. So there's, <laughs> so there's another guy and a, a trooper, canine trooper, that was out there as well. And uh, they never moved. And, and he was like – so he ended up getting the dog, giving him corrections, and he, he the dog – got his focus back where it needed to be. But the troop was like, I was going to tase the fuck out of him, man. He was ready. <laughs> he had his taser out, bro. He was, he was going to tase him. But that's the danger. That's the other thing too, is like yeah. you say, it's a working dog, not a family dog. So one real quick thing too, tell me about when you're, when you go to schools and do stuff, what's the protocols for making sure that kids, you know, don't get themselves overextend or that you keep the dog in a safe environment. How do you handle that when you're in a kind of a public facing situation? Yeah. So no matter where you're at, man, liability is always uh, your responsibility. I mean, you have a bite dog, you know, he's a bite dog. It's a dog. It bites even if he's not a bite dog. And so just going out into public or like you said, functions, I try to stay away from as many functions as I can. Uh, of course, if somebody specifically asks, then, 
then I will do them. But, you know, safety is always our number one and, and the distance from the children uh, and making sure that everybody's on the same page when the dog's moving or the, or the kids are moving is always important. But, yeah, we definitely don't want to get anybody bit. Yeah, the dogs don't recognize the uniform as a good guy, do they? No, <laughs> the dogs, I mean, uh, they're going to take what they what's available, you know, what what's going to spark their interest. Well, I'm thinking the only good guy they see out there is the handler, right? Yeah, I mean, even sometimes that's questionable. I don't know. He looks at me sometimes and I'm like, hey, bro, like we're on it's the like same team. Like, yeah. Fortunately for you, Murph, most of you is a small target, so you, you're not going to get targeted. So anyway, anyway, uh, sorry, what goes around comes around. Hey, uh, I don't know what talking about. So let's, what I want to do is talk about now a stop that you had uh, a little over a year ago, uh, March 8th, 2021, in Fayette County on uh, I-10 there, milepost 168. Because this was a, I mean, we have talked, Murph and I have talked before too about the problem with fentanyl, about the amount of fentanyl that can kill, I mean, the, the amount, just a small amount, not only can kill people, it can kill the officer, it can kill the dog. And fentanyl has become such a huge issue, especially border issue. We've got so much. The Chinese are shipping precursors and chemicals to Mexico. They're making it there and transporting it across the border. So let's talk about that day and kind of do the setup. I mean, it's like when you when you work interdiction, what's your normal shift? What do you normally work or what do you like to work? Well, I mean, I like to work, you know, nine to three, but uh, it just <laughs> depends on when I can get out there. So uh, it, I don't have a schedule. Uh, fortunately, the sheriff knows that uh, I hold myself to certain standards and, you know, I'm going to meet those standards throughout the year and whatever hours it takes to make that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put in the work. So that day I, it was a daytime shift. I try to tend, you know, tend to stay to the daytime stuff. I can see a lot more stuff visually that helps. Uh, then the nighttime is, is more of a guessing game, but yeah, I was just working, working during the day uh, on that day. What drew your attention to this Jeep? It's it's hard to to explain uh, and for people to understand. And I don't want to put too much information out there because some of the stuff is is very specific on what I'm looking for. And it's easy to change. Not that they don't already know that some of the people know what we, we look for. We don't want for. to make it easy for people yeah, either. So, but yeah. uh, right. I mean, an example would be, you know, this car is registered out of El Paso. You know, uh, I run the registration. I see, you know, through different technology, you can you, you can see where the vehicle's been, where it's going, where it's coming from, who owns it, who used to own it, uh, how many times it's traveled, the year model, how much they paid for it, who's insured under it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can look and find out about a vehicle as a law enforcement officer that that helps uh, make some of these determinations, you know. Uh, and I, I don't want to put too much out there, but, you know, yeah, so the, the the older model vehicle traveling a long distance, uh, it catches my attention on the on this one. So and this is good. This time of day is right, what between eight thirty and nine a.m. Right? Man, I don't know. I can't even remember specifically on this one. I, I mean, I I can remember the eight forty seven a.m. Yeah, we're looking at the articles. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so in the morning time. Now, don't and worry, we'll do the research for you. But you just tell us how it goes down. Yeah, I try to look it up, man. There's unfortunately. Oh, you've got a few. Well, fortunately, you've got a lot of seizures out there. But we knew specifically yeah. what we were looking for. So, uh, but yeah, but the other thing too, it says Sergeant Randy Th uh, Tuman. So I said I said Thuman before earlier. It's Tuman. Um, when did you get promoted to sergeant? <sighs> man, I don't even remember. I mean, being a sergeant to me is not uh, it's not something that I 
I enjoy being a sergeant, but you know, probably three or four years ago, uh, it's all the same to me. Sergeant, deputy, you know, my, my intentions are all the same. They'll never change. All you care is get back in that vehicle with your dog, with Colton going out and yeah. causing causing havoc. Yeah. So what had happened was this is kind of a a story that's probably going to take another turn, but. So I was getting a lot, and I don't mean we can come back to the fentanyl seizure, but this this has to do with interdiction. Uh, when I first started doing interdiction out here, I was getting a lot of stuff. Not a lot of people were successful, or a lot of people were working this part of the interstate. So it was kind of free range, man. And uh, I was really tearing that ass up for a while. One day I got called into the office and uh, from the road to the chief and the sheriff, and I get in there, and the FBI is there, and they're telling me that. They got an informant in with the uh, Halasco cartel out of uh, El Paso, and the, they they ordered a hit on me and the dog, and the FBI is telling me that I need to quit law enforcement. So the reason I'm getting into this is because what ended up happening because of all this, after I refused, of course, I'm not going to quit. To me, I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, shit, I got somebody's attention. You know, I'm doing something. But uh, so because of that, the county commissioner's, enabled us to get another spot to have for me to have backup out there on the interstate. Cause you know, I'm searching these cars and stuff all by myself. So I got another guy that ended up working with me and, and uh, you know, he now does interdiction as well. So I got to be a Sergeant and he works with me under me beside me. So that's, that's where the Sergeant thing came from. And actually, before we get into the rest of this too, uh, I forgot to ask you about this because your first two dogs uh, came from the first organization, but your second dog came from Christie and Canine for Cops. So let's set the stage for that real quick before we finish the rest of the stop. How did you find out about Christie? How did you find out about this dog? And how did you go about the process of getting Colt? So I had uh, the dog before Colt was Lobos. And... Uh... Well, when I when I initially started K9, uh, because of the county out being such a small county out here in the middle of nowhere, there's not there wasn't really a lot of like real K9 guys. You know what I mean? There might be a, a deputy with a with some type of dog that he drives around in the car, but as far as legitimately training and and keeping up uh, standards and st- to to that level, it wasn't happening out here. So I had to find a group to train with where it ended up being. Uh, uh, Harris County Precinct 3, I think, C4, the Precinct 4 guys. Yeah, Houston. Uh, so I was training with those guys. And actually, so I don't know if Chrissy, I'm sure she talked about Ted. So Ted is. Well, he's going to be on the show later. Okay. So the reason Ted worked for C4 to 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 get to the point where I'm getting to. So Ted was a canine handler with C4. So I was training with Ted and Clayton Marshall and those guys who have now went to the sheriff's office. But uh so when Christy came along and started this canine for cops and you know donating a dog for Ted and I think you know it was where it all started. I was kind of in that circle of canine handlers. So when she started putting on classes and stuff, the guys were reaching out to me asking me, you know, hey, you want to come to an e-collar class or a tracking class? So she was letting me attend these classes with my dog that wasn't even her dog, if that makes any sense. And then uh and you know she had told me, you know, years before I was ready to retire my dog that, you know, when you when you get ready to retire your dog, just come come talk to me. I, I'm going to get you a dog, you know? So that's how I ended up getting cold, uh, through, through Christie. So your second, your second dog Lobos retired. 
yeah, he retired. I worked him until he was about 12. And he's uh, he set some standards for sure. Now, and so when a dog retires, where is he? What happens with him? So he ended up retiring and he came home. Uh, you know, I, I was able to get him from the county. And uh, he's the dog that bit my daughter. And, and it's crazy because they became best friends, you know, after he retired. But he ended up getting cancer. And I mean, Aww. his... Uh, yeah, I mean, we treated him. He he passed away now, but yeah, he retired to me and he lived on the ranch for a while, but uh, he got old and it was his time. What yeah. is the, uh, when, how do you make the decision about when to retire a dog, assuming that there's no physical ailments and stuff, but I mean, but at a certain age, just like Murph, we got to put him out to pasture, right? So. <laughs> yeah, when the dog starts displaying, you know, there's signs, you pay attention, you're with that dog every day. You can see him slowing down, like in Lobos's case, he was sometimes slow to jump into the car and he sometimes it, it would be so bad that he would just he would sit at the base of the the kennel it would take him a while to really build up the energy to jump into the car so then you know st little indicators like that you you know man it's it's time for him to stop so now let's let's take all of that so now you've got your your dog uh colt how long have you had colt now so i've had colt oh Man, I want to say four years. No, three years, because he's about four. So I got him when he was almost a year, and he's he's four now, so about three years. So uh, how is Colt? Uh, Colt's a Belgian, you said, right? Yes. <laughs> a Belgian Malinois from Poland. From Poland, who you have to talk to in Czech. In Czech. What Worldly is, animal. So what is Colt's personality like versus the other two dogs you had? Man, that's the thing. It's like kids, man. You know, I got three kids, and they, they have totally different personalities, and they're all unique in their own way, and it's the same thing with dogs. I mean, there's, there's certain aspects and stuff that each dog displays that I'm like, man, you're way better than the other dog, but in some instances, the other dog is better in him and, you know, in different areas, but... This dog, man, he's he's a thundercat, man. He's he's full of energy, and if he doesn't, if he's not doing something, like you better be paying attention, or he he better be like kenneled up because he'll destroy some shit. So he has a lot of drive, and and he's always re he's always ready to work. And I think you know you set him up for for that. The only thing he knows is work. You know, he's he's in the car with me. If he gets out of the car, we're doing dope tracking patrol. If you're at home, you go straight to the kennel and he's sitting there. You know, he sits there all day on Sunday most of the time if we don't get called out. And that drive just builds. And Monday morning, you open that kennel and he's gone, man. He's, he's ready to work. Now, do you, do you have to get him out on Sundays and let him exercise just to work off some of that energy? I don't. I leave him in there, man. Let him build that frustration. You know, it's one day a week. Uh, he work. I mean, I work him out, man. Every every day uh, at lunchtime and at the end of the day, uh, he does sprints. I do ball throws for him. So he gets his workout. That's on top of the, the other training, you know. Imagine tracking, you know. You know, I'm 225 pounds, and he's – you know, 70 pounds and I'm not running as fast as he is. So he's dragging me the whole time. So he, he gets his, his share for sure. Now. So, so you called, did you, you reached out to Christy and said, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to retire Lobos. Is that how it goes? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, I mean, at, by that time we were speaking more frequently. Um, yeah. So she knew when it was time to retire and she gave me the option pretty much that the sheriff had gave me on the first dog. It's find a dog wherever you want and uh, let's get him. And so I was, I had looked at some places in California that, uh, that Alder horse, it really drew my attention. I was, I was really 
focused on on going there and then you know Chrissy called me one day and she's like hey man go down the pace setters here it's close it's 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 near Austin and uh check out these dogs they have this this really nice dog I think you'll like him and I'm like you know I already have my mindset on this alder horse they have a big name for their company they put some badass dogs out I know some LAPD guys that Chrissy have brought down that got their dogs from there I'm like this is what I want and then uh so I go look at the group of dogs and Colt, man, his his drive. I mean, he wasn't even a year old. And the way he was searching, they, there was some like a, a line of desks and lockers that were in this building. And the way he was searching at that time, he was just looking for his tug or for his uh, Kong. But, man, the amount of effort that he was putting into smelling all the creases and crevices and, and the level changes. I'm like, that's going to be a badass dog. So, uh, yeah, so we, he's an overachiever. Yeah. So we went with him. <laughs> Hey, you know what, Morgan, too, um, we keep talking about Christy, and we're not sure, I'm not sure that all of our listeners, if they haven't heard Christy's interview, they might not realize what we're talking about here with Christy and her canine for cops. Um, you want to give them a little oh, yeah. so, two-minute tutorial? So um, uh, episode 42 was Chris Bayless, which just dropped to episode 43, part one and two will be Christy. And we got through Christy, through Steve, uh, and the Speakers Bureau and stuff, and she's very good friends. And so we've been going back and forth for a few months, like we because we had, before we launched the podcast, we had a bunch of interviews banked. We had 20 or 30 interviews banked, and so we've been playing through those. But we finally got the chance to talk to Christy. And uh, to say she's a hoot, is just an understatement. But I got to ask you something, though, Randy, though, speaking of that, if you folks haven't listened, go listen to episode 43, uh, part one and two, because how do you go from being uh, a Playboy playmate to Lucy Lips, the skirt with the dirt, to being a crime victim, to being in charge of canines for cops? Come on, admit it. The first time you met this lady with the big Texas blonde hair and everything and the accent, you're going, who the hell is this person and what is she doing here? Man, I, I, Chrissy has been fun since day one, man. That's all I can say. She is she is the personality to be around. I mean, she's she makes it fun no matter what. I mean, no matter what the subject is or what she's talking about, yeah. It uh she's done some really amazing things that I mean, if she doesn't brag about that I only find out because of other people talking, you know, uh yeah, I, I couldn't she's personally to to this day done some stuff for my family that I mean, why this Stuff she would never have to do, you know. So uh, I, I really appreciate and love Christy for everything. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say her husband got to be a strong guy because he, she's got 300 guys on speed dial, and her husband's yeah. not jealous at all. <laughs> <laughs> and and for our listeners, she started when she saw the need for police dogs out there on her own initiative. Started Canines for Cops, and so we, you know, take a look at it. it's K the number nine S the number four C O P S. Take a look at it and learn more about Christy. It's phenomenal what she's doing. Now, folks, through the magic of editing, you guys don't know that we took a break. Well, we took a break for two reasons. Number one, Randy needed a dip. Is that Copenhagen or Skull? What do you got there? Copenhagen long to, yeah, absolutely. I do that. The other thing is I don't have attack dogs, but I have attack cats, and it was a perfect time to feed them because my one cat, uh, Fanny was going to start eating me if I didn't feed them. So we were able to successfully avert, uh, you know, losing an appendage doing that way. But and one last thing before we get in and talk about the traffic stop. Hey, there's another unique thing too that canines did not used to have that they have now. And I want to know if it's that way in Texas, but it's status as a peace officer. In other words, you assault a dog. It's the same thing as assaulting a peace officer. What's the status of canines in Texas? Man, so I'm, it's going to be hard for me to be exact on this, but you're, you're correct. I mean, if you if you cause the the death of a dog because of your actions or directly cause the, the death of the dog, then uh, 
then there's a charge. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know exactly what it is. I, it's not going to be on the same level as assault on a police officer, but uh, I, I think it is a felony. Matter of fact, the guy that wrecked through the house that I used my first dog to track on because the dog died during the track of an action he had taken, he was right. charged with, uh, I forget the exact terminology, but uh, harm to a, a, a police animal. Right. Good. No, but that's good. But that's the other thing, too. For a long time, they didn't have protections, you know, that you have like that. And speaking of protections, too, there was a time, too, where you couldn't make vests for dogs. You know, it was just other than just the bright vests or whatever. Uh, how many of the dogs that you work with are yours? Do you have a stab vest or a canine vest? Brian, I'm, the community has been so supportive, uh, not only here, but, I mean, all over the, the country, man, uh, even Canada. I mean, I've got... I've got donations. You know, these vests uh, are bulletproof vests. They cost anywhere from three to five thousand dollars, and and I have two of those in my car. And wow! I have a helmet. I mean, some of the the people don't even have it yet. So, canine uh, helm. It, it, they build the helmets for the dogs. They're for the special forces. I don't know how much I can get into it, but uh, they have snap-on muzzles, uh, head protection, eye protection. I mean. Uh, picking tinny rails on top for lights and cameras. I mean, the the, the stuff the dogs has access to now, which is well deserved, because most of the time we're putting these dogs in front of in front of us. You know, they're taking the yeah. blunt the blunt force of whatever's coming. But they have ear protection. Um, I mean, it's they have everything we have except guns. You know, no guns yet. Well, not yet. They, they, but they have teeth. They have, they teeth. have big teeth. Yeah. But there's actually a couple pictures, that, and they show the special forces guys hopping out of the uh, hopping out of the back uh, of a C-130 or whatever else, and they've got the dog strapped to their chest. It's got the muzzle, it's got the helmet, it's got all that gear. I mean, how awesome is it for a dog who likes to stick their head out of a car that's going 30 or 40 miles an hour to be jumping out of a C-130 going, you know, 150, 60 miles an hour? Let's talk about oh, yeah. hanging your tongue out. Um, <laughs> For for me, you know, that stuff's always cool. As a canine handler, I'm always like, man, those guys get to jump out of planes. But uh, so years ago, I'll, I'll back up on the story, but I, I did a stop, a traffic stop. This is when liquid meth was un pretty much unheard of, at least out here. You know, maybe you guys were seeing it in Mexico, but I stopped a, a Ford F-250 diesel truck. And uh, the guy was coming from Rio Grande City, going to Houston, story all jacked up. This is in between two dogs. So I had lost the first dog and hadn't had the second dog yet. Um, gas tank tooled, you know, all the indicators are there. Take it to the shop, drop the tank. I'm like, there's going to be dope in here. Spill shit all over me, all over my pants, all over my shirt. Nothing in there. Put it all back together. Let him go. And then probably like 20 minutes later, the outline of my pants start drying and it starts crystallizing. And then, and then I look on the ground and like all the shit's crystallizing on the ground. You know, it doesn't happen immediately because of the amount of, of liquid that's on the ground. So long story short, this dude has fucking a fuel tank full of liquid meth. And I just turned him loose down the interstate. So I let him go and DPS ends up stopping him. And then we're getting a big, so at that time, my buddy that I keep referring to, man, we've been friends since third grade. He's he's in uh, Austin County, but he's attached now as a TFO to a DEA Major Drug Squad out of Houston. So he's been working up there a couple of years, and I've been giving him all my seizures. Every time I get a seizure, it goes to his group. So Nick Wilson, HPD sergeant's the GS at the time. And uh, so DPS tries to take the seizure, and 
DEA's like, no, man, that's our guy. But not really. On paper, I wasn't their guy. So from that time forward, I became a TFO, and I've been working with different DEA groups. And, and I'm getting to all this, too, because now we have uh, Army Counter Drug Intelligence in our group, and we have access to helicopters. And so we get to use the I get the dog. You know, we're, we're repelling out of helicopters, and he just gets to do all kind of fun stuff, man. So you're a sworn TFO with DEA? Yes, sir. Right now I'm with the D25s, an enforcement group. I was with uh, Major Drug Squad for a while, and then one of our buddies split off and became a GS. And for our for our listeners, once as a sworn task force officer, that's what TFO stands for. As a sworn task force officer, that gives Randy federal jurisdiction in addition to his state and county and local jurisdiction. So you've got you got a lot more authority than any of the feds do. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. I applied for, for DEA myself in 2012 and, and really was going to make the jump. And I, and I was told, look, man, DEA is not where you need to be, man. You'll be a caged lion. So just, you know, but anyways, I stayed where I'm at. And it's fun because I can take a, a traffic stop, a cold traffic stop, which means no information. I stop a car and I'll just use a, an example. I stopped a car that had a bunch of wooden chalk blocks on the back of it. Well, it ended up being probably 30, 40 kilos uh, of heroin. So I can take the traffic stop from my jurisdiction as a a county deputy and then roll it into me being a TFO with DEA, take that guy, park my car, get in with him, take it to DEA, you know, jump through all the the hoops you got to jump through there, but do a controlled delivery and take down the bad guy in Houston, you know. So there's instances that I get to do you know, a little bit more than just a traffic stop, which makes it a lot fun. That's fantastic. And, you know, to talk about jumping over DEA, I love this saying, you find a job you like, you'll never work a day in your life. I absolutely and, agree. I mean, just, you know, just talking to you on the phone and then having you on the interview here for a little while, you can tell you're loving what you're doing, man. So don't, you know. I don't know. I'm a little vague. He doesn't seem like he could care less about getting dope (laughs) off the highway, working with the dog. I don't know, Randy, you just got to, I mean, a little bit more energy to match your dog. Okay. Pretend that you're Colt right now and let's get this thing going. Uh, I tell you what, you're right where you need to be. Yeah. uh, My wife, man, I I love her to death. She deals with a a lot of stuff as all law enforcement wives do, but I think if if I didn't live an hour from the interstate, that we would have some real issues because I don't know if I could ever pull off that that road. But uh, yeah, I'm, I've been ate up with it since day one, man. Life's good. Well, let's let's get back to what we were originally going to is your traffic stop, March eighth, twenty twenty one, eight forty seven p.m. Milepost one sixty eight on uh, Interstate ten. Interstate ten obviously is a huge drug corridor. You've gotten some information to stop these folks. So let's talk about you're going from the stop. You make the approach. Um, just kind of take us from there. Walk us through the story. Yeah, so uh, stop the car. Simple traffic violation. Meet with the, the registered owner and the passenger. They're coming from El Paso, going to visit family in Houston. So the registered owner is is in the vehicle. I'd have to read through the report to be exactly sure. But so they lie about their travel. So one of the things I always ask is, uh, you know, they, they tell me they're coming from El Paso. Were you coming from El Paso or are you coming from Mexico? Did you cross? So they, they lie. They say they didn't cross. But really, I know because uh, diesel, which is the same database as dice, darts, uh, I can see that they, they crossed the the POE, that the the bridge, the international the port bridge. of entry. The, yeah. Yes, sir. So they crossed that this morning. So they, they're lying about that. She's nervous. She's yawning. She's, you know, showing all, displaying all different kinds of 
indicators. So I asked for consent to search. And it's, it's one of those things like I talked about earlier, man, when you search, I think that was a Jeep Liberty or a Jeep Laredo. But uh, when you search multiple, a lot of Jeep Laredos or a lot of Jeep Liberties, the moment I looked underneath the vehicle, I knew it had a compartment in the in the rear deck, which is the rear cargo area of the SUV. Now, did you know mm-hmm. it had? Did you know that was it? Looking under it before you opened up the tailgate, or was it after opening the tailgate you you located it? It was a little bit of both. So I opened up the 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 rear hatch, and I could see some tooling on some of the bolts that would indicate that they had been deeper underneath the paneling. And as soon as I looked underneath the vehicle, I mean, it was it, it's so obvious, man. A lot of people put so much stress into interdiction, and and some of these compartments are good. Don't get me wrong, but. I mean, some of them, most of them are so obvious, man. I looked underneath and immediately knew that it had compartment in it. Yeah. You get some of those ones where you're looking and they've used Bondo and it's freshly painted and it's like sticking out, you know, from everything else. It's, uh, it's, and I'll tell you what, there's several series on TV where they show the uh, customs and border patrol and other people, you know, Homeland security investigations work in these cases. But before we get into the rest of the story, let's take two tracks here. Because I used to do the same thing too, and I'll tell you one of the funniest stories I heard about and actually saw the videotape was a Texas DPS guy, and t- had a guy stopped on the side of the road and basically talking to him, you know, like the big Texas DPS. Now let me ask you something, son. Are you doing anything here that's illegal? Would be considered illegal in the great state of Texas? No, so you know, are you doing this? And he says, "Well, would you have any objection if I searched your car?" And this guy, by that time, was so nervous he passed out. You see him on the dash cam of the car, falls down <laughs> into the ditch, and he goes, "I'll take that as a yes." <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, some people get so nervous, right? But there's two approaches. One is when they give you consent, and you're allowed to search, and then something indicates you can bring the dog up there now, and then you get the hit. The other one is when they consent, but as you start to search, they revoke their consent. And then there's another one where they don't give you any consent at all, but you have enough reasonable suspicion to hold the vehicle there. They might be able to go, but you can hold the vehicle. So walk us through how you approach some of those things. Like these folks, when you said they gave you consent, did they give you consent or did they revoke it or withdraw it at any point? Yeah. So a majority of these men that I get, uh, almost 99% of them, man, they're giving me consent all day long. I mean, they, they, they've built... With law enforcement, uh, most of them are, are super comfortable, and you can't even get the the nervous behavior off of them. But yeah, I think they they believe because they beat border patrol, they beat the dogs at the checkpoint, they they beat other officers. Maybe they've been stopped by a traffic cop on the way to where they're being stopped. Now uh, they gain some type of confidence in the concealment, and they're like, "Yeah, go ahead and search it, man." So majority of them are consent. Uh, I run the dog anyway. The federal prosecutors, they, they like to see the amount of time it takes from the traffic stop to the dog alert. I guess it helps in their case. Um, if they're denied consent, if I get denied consent, I run the dog. And, you know, I, I like to feel that, you know, a majority of the time, if it's there, he's giving me a, a positive indication and alert. And I can find it that way. So the 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 other portion you kind of touched on was giving consent and then withdrawing the consent in the middle of the search so that actually happened with the the liquid meth on the fuel on the diesel truck i was talking about earlier the guy had given me consent and when i dropped his tank he refused the consent remember i didn't have a dog at this time but the reasonable suspicion the little pieces you know in my mind at that point i had built the reasonable suspicion was so much that had developed into probable cause. And uh, so I continued to search and, and, you know, it, it all worked out 
Well, so, and you just mentioned, so, um, and, and just so for clarification, I guess, any, more than anything else, you don't need to consent to walk a dog around a, the exterior of a car, right? That's public space. It, absolutely. So it, it's, uh, it gets a little touchy. I mean, you can't prolong the traffic stop from your normal traffic duties, but yeah, it's not, it's not hard to work the dog in there. I mean, if, if you made a traffic stop and you were doing your, your stuff, I could pull up right behind you and just run the dog for no reason. I mean, that, that's not prolonging the traffic stop. It's yeah, the, the it's public air. It's not a public cause is not needed to run the dog. Just re- reasonable suspicion usually. Well, after Murph moved to Florida and he hadn't taken a bath in like five days, I mean, if you ran your dog by him, I'm surprised he'd get a hit. So he'd probably pass out. <laughs> but you know, and that that used to amaze me. It it's it sounds. I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking this is unbelievable that somebody would knowingly have dope or drug drug proceeds in their vehicle and give consent. And when I was a new DE agent in Miami, we would do controlled deliveries and watch. In one case, we watched the controlled delivery of 300 kilos into a house. We sat on it for a couple of days. Uh, you know, they start parceling it out, starting to distribute the cocaine. We're doing traffic stops. So finally, we just go up and ask for consent search. We know 300 kilos in there. What we found was the guy had another 200 kilos in the house already, gave us consent, thinking we're not going to see, you know, the remaining four, 400 kilos, whatever it was left in the house. I guess he thought we were stupid or blind, and, and he was part of that Santa Rita religion. He thought that the he was protected you know, voodoo by the, gods. Well, look that yeah, the voodoo gods were going to make us blind. Well, that's that cash seizure <laughs> that I got. I got I got one back actually in 1990, 202,000, and the guy gave let me have consent to search the trunk of his car, and then also in the trunk of his car was a frickin' briefcase that had plans for a methamphetamine laboratory. So you talk about, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, but, but it's amazing what people will do if you just ask for, and the way I used to phrase it too, I, people always want to say no. So I made no say yes. Instead of saying, can I search your car? And they go, no. I said, you know, hey, understanding, you know, the war on drugs and you certainly don't support, you know, the importation of it. Would you have any objection if I searched your car? No. Thank you very much. No means yes. Step out. Be, be just a couple minutes. You know, we'll do stuff. So a lot of this is psychology. But but I like what you were getting at, though, the two, because the other thing, too, is, is that um, the, the, just so that people don't get uh, twisted uh, sideways, the law allows there's this thing that went back called the Carroll Doctrine. And it actually came from a 1925 case involving the search of an automobile for moonshine whiskey. The Supreme Court said, hey, there is the less there is a lesser expectation of privacy in a public motor vehicle. Um, you don't need a warrant to search a car, you know, when it's stopped out there on the public roadway. So a lot of times if you've got now reasonable suspicion stop goes to probable cause to search, you don't need a warrant. Now, there kind of there's some exceptions, but people forget this actually the law on that went back now almost 100 years talking about defining how you can search a motor vehicle. But in this Jeez. case, they're stopped there. You've got them lawfully stopped. Uh, you're they're they're giving you consent. So walk us through, you know, now you see this uh, uh container, you know, this, this uh, concealment that's going on. What point, at what point do you pull out the dog? So I, I pull him out at that point and run him on, on the vehicle. But before I start messing with a bunch of stuff, uh, a lot just for the training for the dog, you know, even though I know it's there, uh, I, I want the dog to, to find that stuff on his own and be exposed, you know, with least amount of tampering to the way that the air is flowing through the compartment as I can do you know so uh yeah i run the dog on the compartment and he alerts to the compartment at that time i'm thinking uh you know fentanyl's not man to get a fentanyl seizure out here especially kilos of fentanyl that it's not 
common. You know, it's becoming more common, but it's kind of one of the top tier drugs, man. If you get some fentanyl, man, you, you really knock something out. So I drill the compartment from underneath. Uh, I've, I've only gotten fentanyl a couple times at this point. Um, now, when you say you drill the compartment, let people know what you're doing. I got a, a Dewalt drill with a drill bit on it, and I just want to hit dope and show that I got dope so I can take the car and take it to the office and do everything I need to do as far as accessing the compartment safely in, in, instead of on the side of the road. And and while you're doing this, where are the occupants of the car? They're standing in the ditch. Are they cuffed up? Uh, after the compartment, after I see the compartment, yeah, they're both detained. Now, okay. you talked about getting, uh, you know, the, the county got another position because of the threats uh, from the cartel. The FBI came in and uh, stated the obvious to you that, hey, cartel guys want to come get you. But did you have backup that day or are you just working solo? So I had backup. Uh, man, I can't remember if my partner was out that day. Usually he's out. I would say he probably showed up. I'll call him, you know, when I find something, hey, you know, can you come check out with me? And and the reason be- be- besides the 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 FBI threat or whatever they, they had at that time, there was other agencies at the border that had found pictures of me accessing cars or arresting people on the eastbound side, they were taken from the westbound side. You know, a lot of these vehicles, they'll have uh, vehicles that are traveling. Scout cars. Scout cars or decoy cars, you know, trying to get you to, to target them. And uh, so apparently one of those guys had flipped and took a picture of me. And uh, one of those pictures turned up. So you never know, man. When you're out with these people, you never know if there's another car that's with the vehicle. Is it a protection car? Is it a decoy? Is it, you know, you don't know who these people are with. So, uh I try to get somebody as soon as I know I have something to get my partner out there to stand by. Do you know how much the contract was on you? So I think, man, I mean, the FBI is the FBI, bro. Uh, and, and I love the guy. I- there is an <laughs> understatement of the year right there. <laughs> That's the commonality amongst all law enforcement. In the United States. We love them, but they're, the, they're like the, they're like your brother or sister. You love to hate. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, exactly. I never got a specific number on the contract. What it was, was I think I pissed off one of the the higher guys that was in the Houston area for the Halasco cartel. So I had taken several money seizures that, after learning the whole story, ended up being that that same cartel guy's uh, proceeds. So I probably took, man, probably six or eight hundred thousand dollars off of him uh, out of multiple vans, and then I ended up hitting his brother in an eighteen wheeler that had like fifty keys of meth in the diesel tank. And it was his brother. So it wasn't long after that that he, the informant, was in the truck with him when he called Mexico trying to get authorization to to do this hit. So I don't know. I would suspect it's bad for business, you know, and and he was probably more just pissed off because it was family and, and his money that got taken. But, yeah, there was no number that was ever said. Yeah, but it's still not something you take lightly, is it? No. So, I mean, and, and the sheriff really took, you know, to me, you know, people always say, you know, why why are they posting your your picture in the news or why are they doing press releases like these people are going to know. But what a lot of people don't understand is these people already know, man, they get your reports. These these lawyers are criminals themselves. They pull the reports. They know, you know, who you are and, and everything that happened on that traffic stop. I mean, you can Google my name and see where I live. But, yeah, so they had surveillance uh, on my house for for quite a bit of time from for the local PD that, that worked uh, in the city I live. And then, you know, there were certain uh, stipulations that were taken at work, you know, as far as giving out my information or work schedule or phone calls and stuff that, that 
you know, there were some rules, but I haven't heard anything since then about it. Well, that's because Murph and I are on the case now. So you guys out there, pay attention. (laughs) After we've had our coffee and our bathroom break, we'll be right with you. I think what you're talking to a lot when you're talking about getting consent and stuff is the way you talk to people, man. I learned, uh, so a couple of things you had said, you know, these guys give you consent. And when I first started, man, I would think, oh, well, this dude just gave me consent. He obviously doesn't have anything in the car and I'd cut him loose, you know, being a young officer. I'm like, shit, if I had something in my car, I'd be like, no. So I learned quick that that's not, that's not the case at all. And I also learned that Talking to people like they're people, man, it goes a long way. Now, if you go up there and you start reciting the, the traffic code to these guys and being a dick, man, you're going to get nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. You retreat the, you treat people with the amount of respect that they treat you with is well, the way I look at it. And that good old Texas, you know, that good old Texas drawl, hey, y'all, how are you doing? Just pass. I see you passing through our state. I just want to have a quick chat with you. And next thing you know, they're in handcuffs and Colt has got another seizure with you. And a lot of these people, man, are, are uh, I mean, you like to to put a face on drugs as gangs and cartel and these real bad people. But I mean, out of all honesty, 90 percent of people that are trafficking drugs, man, they're 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 in it to make just to make a living, to support their family. They have no work. And, you know, this is easy money that they 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 thought to take advantage of. And, and then once they do it, man, they're trapped. They're trapped. The cartel has them trapped in the game. Yeah, and I'm looking at the article here, and it shows that the driver was an 18-year-old female, and the passenger was a 20-year-old male. Yeah, so I, I'm not. A, I'm guessing they didn't have tats all over their face like MS-13 does and stuff like that. Yeah, rarely. I would say. I mean, rarely have I ever came across somebody I suspected to be like a true cartel member or gang member. Um, most of these people are, are, and and I learned, you know. And when I'm looking for these cars, you're looking for normal people, normal normal dressed people. I, I got to tell you, some of our guys up on interstate that started doing interdictions and stuff, grandmas and grandpas driving travel homes, mm-hmm. you know, um, people with babies RVs. and wanting that they had it down to a science too. You know, oh, it's, the quiny kids, cry kids. It's all part of the thing to get you. I mean, they would try multiple different ways. Um, and our, like I said, the funny thing too is it's amazing how much these dopers know, but it's how much, it's amazing how much, how little they know too, because Unlike you, when they had too much evidence, when the state patrol would see stuff, they'd get DEA involved usually, and it would go to their secure facilities. One of our guys that made a huge stop up there, somebody broke into the 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 division or the field headquarters, you know, the field office for them. Well, most of these field offices, when you're up there working interstate, when you're not at a division headquarters or some little DOT building, a shitty three-room little office, you're not going to put 300 kilos of cocaine seized out of a truck tractor semi-trailer in a little DOT building, but yet they show up one morning and what happened? Somebody had broken in looking for the dope. Yeah. So I've had, uh, I had an 18 wheeler not long ago. The guy, I really don't think he knew what he was doing, but when he told me the story, I I basically told him, dude, if I told you the same story you just told me, you would want to search your own truck. I mean, he had he was from Houston. He had got this job on eBay where he was going to drive an 18-wheeler for like 500 <laughs> on bucks eBay? on eBay. Wait a minute, eBay? At, oh my god. It, yeah. <laughs> eBay or Craigslist, maybe. Maybe it was Craigslist. Yeah. Craigslist. So he's going to drive this 18 wheeler from Laredo to Houston. He's from Houston. So the guy pays for a bus ticket from Houston to Laredo. When he gets to Laredo off the bus, that same guy's waiting for him and puts him in an 18 wheeler. 
I mean, long story short, he I stop him. The dog alerts to the hub, the rear hub on the on the eighteen wheeler. It's like twenty five keys of cocaine, but he never had a clue, bro. He never had. A, I really don't think he had a clue what he what was in there. Now, was this guy to have a commercial driver's license? You know what they call a CDL? Yeah, absolutely. See, and that's what we were saying earlier, I think, in the pre-call. Sometimes you get these folks, they have no idea what it is they're doing. They just know they're driving. Of, they probably have an idea, but they're, that's why you don't get a lot of good intelligence of, out of some of these highway stops because these people have no idea. Unless you can do a controlled delivery, unless you can actually take it to the destination, these folks are about as clueless you know, as a DEA agent yeah. on Friday at 4 o'clock after a few beers. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> definitely limited to the – the knowledge of what they're doing. I mean, even if they do want to cooperate, they, they can only give a phone number because that's all they have. They're going to meet the when guy there. at yep. the Lowe's parking lot in Houston, and that's all they know. Yeah. Hey, so go back to where you drilled that compartment on there. Now, we, we all we all know that fentanyl, you say you want yeah. to hit, hit drugs, right? Fentanyl. And and fentanyl is so, so dangerous. How do you protect yourself? I mean, if you hit dope and all of a sudden fentanyl drops out on your drill bit, there's a possibility that it could get on the on your hands and be absorbed through the pores of your skin. So how do you protect yourself? Honestly, I'm not expecting fentanyl, and and up to that point, until that point, uh, that's that's not something that I, I thought I was going to be encountering. So there is really no protective measures. I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty dumb because I'm laying on my back drilling something that's above my head, and I hit white powder, and I'm like, boom, I got you. It's cocaine, you know. And I go test it for cocaine, and I don't get anything. And I didn't, I didn't have no fentanyl uh, test kits at the time, so I take it back to the office. And then once I get the kilos out of the compartment, I can tell that it's not a kilo of cocaine just because the size and shape of it. And then from that point, I, I took all the protective measures uh, to access it, which a lot of people suggest now these days, man, that if, if you find dope, dope, you don't even mess with it. You send it to the lab. But out here, man, it's, uh, you know, I like to know what I have so I can at least get the charges right. There are, you know what, what and we'll talk offline. There's there's uh, equipment out there now. It's It's rather expensive, but there's equipment that you can use in the field that you could carry in your cruiser. That will identify what you have. That electronic and, stuff. And after we, yeah. yeah, and after we finish, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some contact information. And that's the great thing when you watch some of these series, like on Hulu and Netflix, when they show the Border Patrol, they've got all the new technology. It's no more those searchy labs, you know, where you have to do the field test kits and break the ampules. You just stick that probe in there. It, it uses laser basically, and it identifies if you've got fentanyl, exactly. car fentanyl, cocaine, you know, whatever it is. It's a hell of a lot safer than you. I mean, God bless you, but man, dude laying underneath the vehicle, drilling a hole going, what's that white powder? Oh shit. Somebody better call an ambulance, you know? Well, actually I had an incident. It was a, a, a Ford exposition one time and it has that rear air conditioning unit in the side quarter panels in the back. And so I could tell that the air conditioning unit in the back had been tampered with. And you know, you know, cops, man, we're trying to take shortcuts. So I don't want to take all the goddamn bolts out to, to look inside this thing. So I got my knife, right. And I, a screwdriver and I'm prying it, the, the pieces apart. And I see, a chrome silver package and i'm like okay that's that's a bundle and i'm laying down of course you know you're you're looking your mouth's open because you're like <laughs> focusing so much well it ended up being like a wine bag right and i popped it, it was full of liquid meth and it's all over my fucking face and bro, all over my shirt yeah so i had to call ems on that one but uh did luckily, you not have a did you have a bad trip because of that i mean i'm not being funny i mean did did anything physically happen or you know uh happen to you medically no, no, I was, uh, fortunately, I mean, 
I knew immediately that it was liquid meth, and you know, I, I washed my face, and it, nothing ever came of it. But do you guys carry Narcans in your car? We do. Yeah. Narcan so kit. I have I have uh, plenty of Narcan now for the dog and myself. Yes, yeah, so, uh, that's the benefit of having a partner out there, and just in case you do absorb, it can save your ass. Yeah, yeah, because the fentanyl, like you said, man. They, I mean, luckily I've never been exposed to it but i mean from reading articles and, and oh, it's, it can be deadly it doesn't take much in fact if you want to know what it's like go back episode 40 bill sarukas uh deputy u.s marshal the guy that actually helped identify the snipers the dc snipers when he was working undercover uh he was licking the envelope to put in some lsd blotter acid and got lsd he had a bad trip <laughs> he went on an acid trip he didn't realize uh Hey, well, mm. so work through that. So what's the process once you get that in there? Once you got that, um, what do you do with what do you do with the driver and passenger? So they're they're uh, once I found the compartment and hit the substance, then they're transported to jail by patrol. And then I wait for the record and we go to the jail and then I access the compartment. This one was a, a little the compartment was shitty, but it was a little more sophisticated. It was on some actuators. Uh, so trying to f- figure out the process with the wiring and stuff, finally get the compartment open because I'm trying to do it the right way, because I, I do take a little bit of pride in finding this cool compartment. that I don't want to just tear it up, you know. Uh, maybe, you know, use it for some training and stuff like that later on. But, uh, yeah, so I access. Can you go into details about how that was? Can you tell us about how that one was accessed? So I, I never figured out what the, the combination the combination was. So what we do now is we just found the hot wires that go to the actuators and jump them off with a battery that that makes the actuators function and opens the compartment. It, it could be, and you you know better than I do, but it could be one of those things where you got to have the car in park, the radio has to be on. You push the cigarette lighter in, and the and the heat. Murph, has you've to just be on dated yourself. Setting. They don't have cigarette lighters it's, in cars anymore. I I so one of the <laughs> one of the compartments I got. I have two stories for your compartment that you. So it was a cigarette lighter. The rear console or the center console from the rear had the cigarette lighter. You opened the cigarette lighter and stuck your finger all the way back, and there was a button, and that popped the oh, popped the radio out. But uh, one of the compartments, yeah, you never figure them out. So. One of the guys I got probably recent, more recently, uh, I don't know, he had 20 or 30 keys in a, in a dash compartment behind the, the speedometers and stuff. But, uh, yeah, he, he showed me how to access the thing, man, and it was the parking brake. The parking brake, you had to put the steering wheel all the way down, um, and then it was the rear back window. You had to put your foot on the brake, the parking brake, and the rear back window, and that it was on a, a little actuator that the the speedometer kilometer thing came out and the, it was access to the compartment back there. Yeah, but you never really figure it out unless they tell you. Pretty ingenious. Well, it is. And back in the back in the days, like I said, one of our guys that was doing interdiction couldn't figure out why there was just this one copper penny sitting like in the ashtray. Couldn't figure it out until they figured it out. In the old days, what they had was two rivets that were on like the, you know, the air conditioner vent and stuff. So you took the penny and touch the rivets together, which closed the circuit, which then popped open mm-hmm. the trunk, you know, in the back. But I think it was the Ohio State Patrol came up with this, uh, I think it was called a bypass tool. It's basically like an electronic tool. No matter what it was, you could scan down, it would find the servos, you know, the actuators, and it could actually activate those things with some kind of tool. But, you know, anytime you come up with a tool, then there's a counter tool, then there's the counter counter tool, yeah. you know, they keep figuring out um, ways to do this. But let, let's let's focus in on this. What What was the what was the result of what you, you book them in? You know, what, what happened, what I'm really interested in is the way this, the, the fentanyl was packaged and that design on there. Cause that's very unique. It almost looks like a, a horseshoe with, you know, flare mm-hmm. out on each end. And it looks like a, almost looks like a happy seahorse. Almost looks like it's a 
child's toys. So yeah. talk about getting into that and, and pulling the dope out. What At what point did you know you had fentanyl? So when it, did, when it didn't test positive for cocaine, then I was pretty certain that it, uh, and it didn't test positive for meth. Uh, once, once I actually opened it up, like I suited up in the full PPP gear, mask, gloves, suit, and I, I, I took my time and cut it open. Once I could see the texture of, of what the substance was, then I kind of figured it was uh, going to be fentanyl because I had gotten one previous fentanyl seizure prior to that. Uh, then, then, you know, fentanyl, I turned it over to, so I'm, I'm a TFO with DEA, but I'm also with, uh, Westside Haida is a, a different group that I'm also with. Um, and I turned it over to those guys and they took it to the DEA lab and it was all secured and tested. And... Were they able to work the case back at all? Man, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think anything, uh, came of that. I mean, but that, I mean, just when you read through the article and then when you look at the amount of dope and what it was and what it could turn into, I mean, it was a hundred million dollars worth of fentanyl. That's what the street value would have been. Yeah. So the street value, I always put it down as street value. So when I do street value in my mind, I went off an article that was written by like the New York Times, like, or, or I think that's what it was that, that explained the amount of fentanyl powder it took to make however many thousands of fentanyl pills that was equal to whatever dollar amount. I mean, I don't know, uh, wholesale, obviously they're probably not paying a hundred million dollars. Uh, even, you know, when I get cocaine, you know, you get one kilo of cocaine, you know, they might pay $20,000 for it, but street level. I mean, if you do a hundred dollars a gram, that's a hundred thousand dollars. Well, and if you step on it once or twice and cut it, you know, and, and I don't even add that in there because I don't want to even confuse people more, but yeah, if, if you take one kilo of cocaine, like more than likely that's going to end up being three kilos of cocaine once it's stepped on and sold. But yeah. Right. And, and you're looking at a hundred dollars a gram and, and there's a, there's a thousand grams in a kilogram. So now you got 3000 times a hundred. Yeah. It, it gets, it, that's how the big bucks are made. I and mean, that's, that's why they that's can pay the works. big money. That's when we're talking to George Young, you know, episode two and how much he was making for the kilos he transported and how much they were you know paying per trip. That's why it was easy for these traffickers to throw away a car or throw away a plane. It was just a cost mm -hmm. of doing business. It was no different than fueling up a car. Well, now if you fuel up a car, if you guys have fueled up lately, I don't want to throw a car away. Man, that gas is worth more than my car is right now. <laughs> if I give it away, it's not going to have any gas. Yeah, in that's it. right. And I'm probably running that <laughs> son of a bitch drop. Well, I'm, as I mentioned, may have mentioned, I'm selling my 2000 Camaro Super Sport. So if I have a somebody who's pretty close to doing it. Yeah. I'm siphoning the gas out of that puppy. I'm sorry. pal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so Randy, so we all know that, that how deadly fentanyl is and, you know, and the, the professionals say that it could be as little as three grains. If you look at a grain of salt, how big that is. So three grains of fentanyl could cause an overdose. Did you ever get an indicator of how many potential, how many people could potentially be killed from those five bricks of fentanyl you see I that I did, day? man. And I don't know if it was in that article. They may have put that in there, but it was an astronomical amount of people that could have died from from that exposure to that amount of uh, fentanyl. It's it's horrible. And I don't, I apologize. I should have looked at it. I think it was three times the population of Texas. Yeah, it's, it's something crazy, man. And, and, and all that, you know, the big aspect of it. And a lot of people, man, I get frustrated or I used to get frustrated with the prosecution when it comes to like federal prosecution and stuff like that. Like some of these guys aren't getting what I think they deserve. But in the grand scheme of things, man, that amount was taken off the street that day. And surely it saved somebody's life, you know.
Absolutely. Absolutely. You're doing God's work out there, brother. Hey, so um, in terms of that, I know one of the things Christy is big about is keeping stats on things, keeping metrics, uh, keeping stats on the dog. With you now and Colt now, um, what do your stats look like that you can recall? I know you don't remember what happened yesterday, but toss me a bone here, as they say in dog, dog, dog. Man, I don't know. You know, I get asked that question a lot, so I've been kind of keeping track because uh, of the amount. So I got Colt. I've had him for several years, three years. I mean, it's really a lot, man. I, I don't know. I can't even put a number on it. I mean, we don't get – I mean, I know some of the guys y'all y'all uh, interviewed before, and they're getting thousands of kilos at a time. But, I mean, I might get anywhere from 5 to 100 kilos of anything at any given time. So that adds up. And then on the money, I mean – I remember Colt's fun, his first money seizure was only a few months after I had got him on the street, and it was like six hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars and some cookies in an eighteen-wheeler. So just that that alone, you know, uh, it's pretty significant. He's done he's done a lot of work. So in an average month, just give us just average it out like for a month. How much? What what do you get? You know, kind of per month if you're looking at it in terms of whether it's like uh, coke or meth, you know, or fentanyl now or cash. Kind of what's your distribution? So it varies, man. And here lately has been really frustrating for me because uh, you know they're pushing a lot of illegals. It's it's really easy to push illegals and make money that way. I mean, obviously the the Gulf Cartel, uh, the human trafficking is, is is a ton of money for these guys. Yeah, and it's and it's and the way our system's set up, man. It's 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 easy for them to get away with that. So Nuevo Leon, Nuevo Laredo was like a, a huge source for for what I deal with most of the time. It's coming from that portion of Mexico. Um, they they arrested that uh, Juan Trevino Chavez not long ago, and, and they've been some fighting over there for territory. So I guess what I'm getting at is, man, it, it could vary. It could be five, five or six dope seizures a month, and maybe two or three money seizures. Um, Typically, I, I have the dog. I work the eastbound side. I work the dope side. My partner, uh, he works the westbound side, money and guns. So uh, he's been seeing a lot of, and, and I just got some money the other day too for human trafficking. And like I said, man, that's anywhere from you know twenty to sixty grand. When the dope money's been coming, man, you know you you could get anywhere from a hundred to six hundred. It just it varies. So in terms of when you get a, let's talk about real quick, when you get a money seizure, what's the process on a money seizure? In other words, how much of that stays local? How much of that goes to the state? What's it, like you say, it's tricky. Everybody wants to, it's like the mafia. Everybody wants to get their get, you know, I pay you, you pay him. I almost feel like I'm yeah. paying John Gotti here at some point, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So if, if you seize a million dollars, how does it get split up? So it's, it's frustrating to me, man. And it's kind of why, like I said, I try to stay away from the money. So there's different stops. So if this, if it's a stop that say it in, in, involves my group, my DEA group or another DEA group uh, that have multiple TFOs from multiple agencies, then it's going to get split amongst everybody in the group. A cold stop is going to stay here. Unfortunately, our county attorney has made an agreement with the previous sheriff before mine got here where they're taking 50%. That is astronomically high. Uh, so she's getting 50% of everything right off the bat. And, uh, she, she's not willing to negotiate that, which I, I understand because it's more money for her, but 
So yeah, typically we would agree on a split. Um, she's been favorable sometimes to give me a little bit more uh, and take a little bit less, but it would go to training and equipment for the sheriff's office, the portion that we did receive, which means we can get patrol cars, uniforms, uh, guns, training for officers, um, stuff that really a small agency like ourselves doesn't have access to without those seizure funds. The rest would go to her. Um, if you file it federally, um, they're probably going to take 10%, but I'll probably be retired before the case is actually settled. That it's a, it's a slower system. The, it's a bigger wheel. It turns a lot slower. Um, so federally you just, you know, you're waiting a little bit longer. What I like about we're we're asking you for stats. I, I kind of like the fact that you don't have cumulative stats because you're not trying to toot your own damn horn here. You're out doing a job that needs to be done. You know, you're serving the taxpayers in the county where you work and the citizens of Texas as well as the United States. You're protecting human lives. And it's not like you're wearing a badge of honor that, oh, yeah, I seized 1,000 kilos of Coke or I seized $100 million. You know, it's you're just out doing your job. Uh, uh, to me, that's fantastic that you you look at it that way. And I, I, like I said, I love this job. And, and I, by no means am I the best interdiction guy in the state i mean there, there's some guys doing some astronomical things and i try to stay in that group and, and network with those guys and learn as much as possible as far as stats for christy uh on her behalf every time i get a seizure um i, I just send her hey this is what i got and she probably has more accurate stats than, than i have but i mean i'll write down a date and amount and a case number just so i can reference it back when i go back to looking through all the stuff I've gotten over a year of somebody specifically asking about one thing. Yeah. And I mean, you look at Christie's reason, she's looking for donors and she can show, yep. you know, you want to show people who are willing to give their hard earned money, the results of their donations. I understand completely why she does it, but it's completely different because, you know, you're a public servant, which for me is a badge of honor. And you're out there serving the public, man. I just take my freaking hat off to you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, I do. You know, the the sheriff he publicizes the seizures as well, and and I think it's for the same reason, just to let the community know that hey, hey guys, we're out here and we're working and and we're you know we're making things happen. And like I said, I couldn't I could do none of this without the support of my sheriff. I mean, it takes a special guy to cut somebody like me off leash and do what I do. Well, that yep. or Colt, man, either one of you being off leash is a dangerous thing for the, for the bad guy. <laughs> By the way, let's give your sheriff a shout out. Tell us about your sheriff. Yeah. So Sheriff Keith Karinick, he's, he's my sheriff here in Fayette County. Uh, he's had a long career in law enforcement and he's, he's man, absolute best guy to work for, man. And that was guys, we didn't pay and he didn't, the sheriff didn't pay us to ask that question. So this is, you know, this is from the heart. So I'm going to tell you how good the sheriff is, man. So some of these other agencies, uh, you started getting like a district attorney's office that uh, has interdiction officers where they can kind of stipulate their salaries, where they get paid a, a significantly amount more than I do. So, you know, I get paid. I don't get paid anything special because I get more dope or because I'm a canine officer or because I'm doing interdiction. So the sheriffs had even brought it to commissioner's court that. I get a pay raise using the own our own proceeds that we've got, which is can be done, you know, through interdiction efforts. Um, but uh, he he went, you know, to battle for me with the commissioners. It, it, unfortunately, it was it was turned down. But I mean, he was proposing that I get, you know, a significant raise. You know, and that's a tough thing. You know, you think about it too. It's a tough thing to have a conversation about because. 
you don't want people to get the perception is that the only reason you're doing it out of there. It's like I told somebody one time, I said, look, you do not want because they thought troopers would make commissions off of tickets like we got to keep certain percentage of it. Now, everything goes into the general fund. <laughs> you do not want me making money off of a ticket because, dude, I would not stop writing c- tickets until I ran out of tickets or I ran out of ink. And that's a bad day for you and a good day for me. So. We don't get paid on commission. But on the other hand, though, you, you think that, hey, look, for the risks you take and everything else, if people, if the public only knew how little money people like you got paid to do this type of work, they would want you to have a pay raise. Um, but but I, I, you know, I realize the county commission doesn't want to make it look like, hey, we're just, you know, we're blinding. But I'm telling you, it, they, they've got to come up with a solution for guys like you because you still got to feed a family. You got to you take risks these county commissioners don't take. Absolutely. And I I think, you know, not just for me, I mean, we could use that money. You know, there's no way I could do what I do if it wasn't for patrol doing what they do. You know, somebody has to take those calls and and answer to the public needs and and put up cows and and stuff like that. And if they weren't doing that, that that person would be me. You know, and the the money that was in that account, you know, he even proposed that it, you know, be spread throughout the whole department, which I'm totally good with, man, because without the support, of the just the regular patrol officers or the investigators are doing a completely different job, man. I wouldn't get to do what I do. Yeah, and it's that's being part of a team. Yeah, it's as simple as yeah, that. Yeah, they take the same risk, you know, that that I take. Maybe different situations, but the risk is always there. Wait a minute, you say different situations. You just said a minute ago. Did you say putting up cows? Bro, yes, <laughs> we we put up a lot of cows during the day. Well, I say we patrol takes a lot of loose cow calls for sure. Being a farm boy from Kansas, we had a few of those too. And let me tell you, cattle, like in Kansas, we have big beef plants there down in Texas. Cattle are worth a lot of money. I mean, you want to you want to put those cows up. Yeah. I was going to say, don't tell me you never put cows up in Kansas as a trooper. I had, know you actually, did. we had an accident one time. Um, uh, there was an accident with a truck tractor, uh, semi-trailer pulling some cattle, and a couple of the cattle, they was hit. A couple of the cattle fell off. They were severely injured. They weren't going to make it. It's the only time I ever discharged my Mini 14 in the line of duty. I had actually take out a couple of them on the side of the road because the, the vet said there's just no saving these guys. So, yeah. but, but now that would suck. But the way it is, it's, it's, it's a little weird because you're now deliberate. It's not like in the heat of battle when you're doing something, it's like, this is you're deliberately walking up to a living thing and putting a round through its head to put it out of its misery. It's just not a, yeah. it's not, people think it's fun. No, it's not a fun thing to do, you know, uh, even not if it's all. cattle. Not at all. So, no. but anyway, back to you for a second, Randy. So what's your, so what's your next toy that's on, what's, what's on your Christmas list? What, what does Randy Tooman want for Christmas with the money seizures and the dope seizures? So I actually just uh, met with, the x-ray people viking uh, mobile x-ray yeah they have a handheld x-ray machine it's about fifty eight thousand dollars, but it does some tremendous stuff you know it de- i saw that used uh i saw that used where it's like a, you kind of hold it two hands and you run it across that it's got a scope there you know a d- display where you can see things that are hidden yeah and so one of the the ways that the that they've been trying to beat the x-ray is through lead you know they line the compartments with lead and 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 i guess an experienced x-ray operator at the border can pick up the anomalies from the lead but this machine has a lead detection uh built into the system and the only thing that's lead on a vehicle is probably the wheel weights and the inside of the battery so if you're detecting lead in in odd places then it's a big well and i got a clue for you yeah it's good i got a clue for you traffickers when you, you when you've got lead lining the trunk of your car you know i'm sorry pal that's just not normal for that shit to happen so Hey, as as we bring this to a close, um, do you see yourself doing anything else? I mean, at some point, do you have to graduate to something else, or is this is this what you do until they got a 
roll you out till you can't hop into your kennel anymore. And they've got to roll you out to retirement. Man, you know, I've thought about that and I've got a lot of uh, offers to do some pretty cool stuff, but uh, I, I think I like what I do, man. I, I, I don't plan on going anywhere. And if it was up to me, man, I'll, I'll die doing interdiction. I mean, the only other aspect that maybe in the future for me would maybe be teaching other interdiction officers what I've learned uh, you know, through, through my experience as being an interdiction officer, maybe just help share some information to make them better. But no, nah, man, I, it's bad juju. We don't say, we don't want you to die being an interdiction officer. We want you to have a nice long life and die after, you know, die a natural, you just pass away nat naturally nicely or in place like Murph. Sometimes I don't know if Murph has passed away when we're having an episode here. I got to remotely have Sorry, his wife come in me? and check, check his pulse. So, but no, no, were, dude, were we you want you to have a, to me? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to you. Are you talking to me? So no, we want you to have a nice long life. Uh, but final shout out before we go here. So uh, just just give a good commercial for Canines for Cops and Canines for Kids. Yeah. Uh, how important has this program been for law enforcement? And by the way, I did find out we have a few dogs here in uh, Virginia. But when I went on the site, one of the dogs is in a little town of Kansas called Parsons, Kansas. And I happen to know some people out there in Parsons. So one of the dogs is in Parsons, Kansas. So how important has this program been for law enforcement in Texas? Man, not only in Texas, throughout the, the whole country and the world. I mean, she's donated dogs over, you know, not just in the, France. Yeah, yeah, just not in the United States. And it's tremendous because, unfortunately, the dogs being so valuable to the departments that, that you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a big expense for departments, especially a smaller department to invest in something like this. And uh, with Chrissy out there doing what she's doing, man, she's providing dogs that are, you know, saving lives every day for multiple communities i mean the canines for kids putting dogs in school the canines for cops putting dogs on the street protecting officers protecting the community i mean it's tremendous and without her efforts i mean there would be so many agencies without dogs gonna correct me if i'm wrong here morgan because i know you will <laughs> which never happens but <laughs> which never happens that you're wrong or never never happens that i correct you <laughs> both yeah <laughs> but uh we're gonna put the the uh, the links on there for canines for cops and canines for kids, so our listeners can learn more. If you're looking to donate to a good cause, yep. this is one of those. And let me tell you how, how being a, on the executive board of a nonprofit before and being the treasurer and stuff. When you see the ratings that they have for transparency and donors and stuff, that, that that's the stuff you got to look for in nonprofits. You look for who who have they been audited by? Do they have transparent accounting? Do they have good use of the funds? Uh, and you can go, you can go fill out, you can go see the form 1099K um, uh, that all nonprofits have to file. And that's available for the canines for cops and stuff. So Christy, I, let me tell you, just from a, having been on that side of it, runs a, just an impeccable organization in terms of the ratings they have, the transparency they have. And we'll put the links on there. Um, you know, and, and for you, Randy, man, I, I can't tell you, I, I can tell you, I would want everybody's pay doing this type of work to be at a minimum twice of what it was, if not more. Uh, because yeah. of the risks you take and, and what you do. And so there's very little we can do for you other than help you tell your story. And this is, people can't see this, is, but this is me saluting you, brother, saying, stay safe, wear your vest out there every time, make sure Colt wears his vest, and uh, just keep Colt away from the female dogs unless you want baby dogs running around the house, right? I think, you know, Steve said it best, man. If if you really, truly do something you enjoy, you never work a day in your life. And that's exactly how I feel, man. Well, it's, it's been a true honor to have you on here, Randy. And, and, you know, I can't tell you what to do, but the advice I got for you is keep kicking their ass 
You can put them in jail and that hurts them, but when you take their shit, it makes take them cry. Take their money and take their dope, man. You're doing a, you're doing a phenomenal job, That was brother. my impersonation just, of a cartel is. member going, it's Randy again. He does our stuff. I don't like him. <laughs> hey, so uh, watch your six, brother. Actually, watch yeah, your six. final thing I want to ask, um, how, in terms of how things are now, have there been any legitimate or credible threats against you lately? Um, anything that you've seen that indicates that, hey, they're still out there looking for me? No, I mean that was the only credible. I mean, of course, I get threats from people all the time, as as all law enforcement officers do. But people are just usually angry. But that 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 was the only credible, serious threat that I that I've seen come towards me in my career, and and nothing lately, and nothing about that has restemmed as well. All right. Well, just Gavin DeBecker. She uh, it's a book I recommend, especially for law enforcement. Gavin DeBecker did a lot of stuff for the Secret Service. He wrote a book called The Gift of Fear. It's listening to that inner voice, brother. Just listen to that inner voice and you keep yourself safe, keep Colt safe. And anytime you need backup, anytime you're up in Virginia to do training, literally Colt Pepper's an hour away from my house, man. Call me. Beers are on me. Just don't bring the dog. I don't want Murph. I don't want a picture of the dog latched onto my nards because Murph wants a picture. Let me reposition that for you. That's not going to happen. We want a video of that. <laughs> that would be, a, you know what? We probably have 7 million viewers if we had that. <laughs> All right. I ain't taking one for the team. team. Sorry, pal. Ain't taking one for the team, even with Kevlar on. So, hey, look, let us bring this to a close. We want to thank you. We want to thank Christy also for introducing us to you. And again, uh, this is us saluting you. So everybody else, you all stay tuned for the debrief. We only made this a one part because it was very difficult to try and figure out where to split it in the middle mm -hmm. and not ruin things. But, I, you know, I hopefully you guys stuck with us. But I'm telling you, you know, thank God that there are people like him who love what they do and can't wait to get out there every day and take tools. I mean, weapons like Colt, more than a dog. It's his partner, obviously. But what a, what a weapon against these folks. But the dog is only as good as their handler, right? So, mm -hmm. Steve, so, I mean, Randy's got to have the instincts first. He's got to find the right cars to stop. He's got to develop the reasons. And then the dog helps him confirm what he probably thought and helps him find stuff you'll never find any way else. But, man, right. $100 million worth of fentanyl. I mean, one hit. That's just one, one stop. One hit. Yeah. How much stuff is getting through that you don't have access to or that you can't get to? Right. And, and you know, we got to give a shout out to his sheriff as well for supporting him and giving him the opportunity, not only the opportunity to go out and do a job he loves, but uh, provide him with the tools to do a better job. And the fact that his sheriff, you know, the, the funds that they're uh, being, that they're receiving through asset forfeiture from some of his seizures, he's allowing him to use some of those funds to buy more equipment. And so in one of his stories, he talked about when he was drilling a, a tank under a car and all of a sudden there's oh, yeah. liquids coming down on him. Um, so what we did afterwards is we had a little private conversation. And, and I've got a friend who's a retired DE agent, uh, Ernie Batista, we'll give Ernie a shout out here, who works for a company that uh, he's actually a rep for several different companies that provide different items that law enforcement on the highway can use. And, and Randy was talking about trying to get one of the uh, portable x-ray machines well, there's other equipment out there that will help him identify the drug so he doesn't have to put himself in, in a position yeah. of danger to have liquid meth or possibly fentanyl spill out onto his skin and, and ultimately kill him. So just, you know, happy that we happen to know some people that, that can help these guys out and put them two in contact like the next day. And uh, turns out the boys in Houston are already using some of this equipment. So it's all good, man. This is all coming together. 
Oh, it's great too. And, you know, again, we give a shout out to Christy Schiller for the great work she's doing to get these dogs out there to take these people off the highways, off the road. Um, you know, and it, the, the, the fun thing too, is just to listen to how, ex- I mean, he was, he was itching to get back to work. Even when we were doing this interview, Steve, he was itching to get back to work. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost yep. like he's as bad as his dog. You know, you got to handle him and the dog at the same time. But Hey man, Randy Tooman, that dude, uh, Absolutely. again, this is, you can't see this, but this is me saluting you. What a fantastic job. And we're honored that you came on and uh, told us about that. And by the way, you guys saw how dangerous it was when the FBI visits and says, Hey, you know. Uh, cartels looking for you, you know. Unbelievable. It's not a comfortable feeling, let me tell you. I might have been there and experienced that. But uh, big shout out to Christy again. If you want to know more about her, listen to episode 43 of Game and Crimes, where she talks to you about canines for cops and canines for kids. Check those out. Check out those websites and just see what she's doing. She's and a real donate. hero. She's an and unsung donate. Help hero. Help them out. Absolutely. Pause for the cause. That's right. All right. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, hey, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We enjoyed it. We really did enjoy it. Um, Head on over to Apple and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Let us know what you think about it. Support the show. And we will continue to bring you great content, great people, great stories. By the way, uh, towards the end of the month, Murph and I will be in San Diego at the Southern California Gang Congress. We will Congress conference. And maybe it's a Congress. (laughs) We'll have a bunch of politicians there. Oh, hell Um, no. (laughs) No, they won't. Because guess what? The difference between them and politicians is the guys at the gang conference keep their hands in their own pocket. Oh, there you go. But on boom, thank you very much. No, uh, so but we're going to be collecting some great stories down there. But also head on over to Game of Crimes Podcast.com, our website, more information about the shows, the books, everything we got going on, the pictures. Get a couple pictures there too. Follow us on the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, PayPal.com. Use our email, Game of Crimes Podcast at gmail.com or PayPal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you. But I'll tell you. Got to go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. That's where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be, because we put great stuff out there. You can't make this shit up. 911, what's your emergency? We will have the upcoming, Steve, the upcoming gentleman of the Cali cartel being taken down by the gentleman of the D- real DEA narcos, oh, Chris you, and Dave. You got to come and listen. I mean, if you're not if if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you need to, to join just to listen to them. It's the most it's more in depth than Javier and I did on the on the Median cartel. So I'm loving every second of it. I've learned so much from these guys. I had no idea they were doing a lot of stuff up there. <laughs> Trust me, episode 12, the end of episode 12 when you find out how they extricated themselves from the uh <laughs> Don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> It is an eye opener. Anyway, guys, hey, we hope you enjoyed this. But again, join us on Patreon. But hey, we want to thank you guys again. Uh, Like I said, the the week before Jerry Clark, that was the second most downloaded episode in Game of Crimes history. So we thank you guys very much for supporting the show, supporting us. And once again, we thank you for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. (laughs) 